Autobots, transform! <laughs> Not you, Bumblebee. Welcome back to more and less than meets the eye. This is a Transformers podcast where we are switching between the critically panned live action movies and the critically acclaimed comic books by James Roberts. This is episode 14 and it is the end of the road in terms of material. This is the final issues of Lost Light, issues 13 to 25. If you are a trade paperback person, that's volumes 3 and 4, aka Everything That Is Left by James Roberts. And I am joined on our last voyage with the Lost Light by my intrepid co-captain, Ben Phillips. If I love Rodimus so much, are you Megatron? Ooh. No, I've not done a genocide. No, but you are evil. I'm, I'm probably Ultra Magnus. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, that works. You have ideas, and then my solution is to go away and make a spreadsheet about it. Yeah, so. a 50-page report. Ben, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying, uh, well, not enjoying that we're done with this, because uh, <laughs> I've still got a whole stack load of comics left that are not The Lost Light, and that Enjoy is that. <laughs> that is bad. But yeah, I mean, I think I've still got a few like loose Roberts issues left in the pile. I've not read Revolution yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've not read Revolution yet. Actually, I think that's it. I think that's the only one. I think the only of the saving grace that I've really got is Nick Roche. <laughs> we'll obviously have like a few issues, yeah. or even if it, even then it's just one, and then I'll tag on last bot standing which was the final series that uh idw got to publish in the transformers universe but is the 2019 reboot universe but i don't think anything in it contradicts anything that happened in the 2005 universe yeah i don't think but yeah like i mean obviously that 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 to, that to me is the proper farewell to, to idw's time at the hell of transformers and we're now heading into skybound's time in charge of transformers but we are here to discuss the end of James Roberts' run, which was also one of the final things published in the 2005 reboot universe. Yes, and it does contain the furthest forward chronological plot event. So where we left things off previously, the Rod Squad had their adventure in the Functionless universe, they came back, they formed this plan to take a small ship and leave Necroworld and go and seek help, which they, they did, they went. And the Scavengers had a little adventure that uh, well, no, they didn't. Yes, they did. Did we see the scavengers? In the last volume. Yeah. Didn't we? No, it's all uh, Trojan Major. Yeah, no, they're not. Okay. The last time that the, the scavengers showed up in the comics was the revolution yeah, yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah. And then previously it was before the entire reboot. Right, 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 right. I, I don't even think they've had cameo appearances in this volume this, yet. Yeah. So this must be really weird if you are just reading Transformers Lost Light. Like if you have decided this is your jumping on point and then all of a sudden two issues get Nobody given away to two <laughs> there, might, there, there probably are some people because yeah. obviously the, that's the whole reason they do these reboots and we didn't really talk about that last week where like the reason you retitle is to get a small juice in your sales numbers so someone must have been pitched on oh I've heard this book is really good so therefore I should jump on at this point but mm. there is so much continuity to this that it really doesn't feel like it's that much of a fresh start because even when you think of like how Marvel and DC do it when they do a reboot into a, a fresh number one there is like a big change in status quo that tends to happen and that that allows for readers to jump on even if like stuff from the, the it's the same writer doing it but in a new location or, or there's a, a change in who the main character is or whatever the continuity matters but it isn't you're dealing with a whole new way of like telling the story whereas this really is the only really new thing that you get to like get grips with is anode and lug yeah. and then everything else is very much yeah 
this is just a continuation of more than meets the eye. Yeah. So yeah, we haven't seen the scavengers in a while. Last time we saw them, they decided to keep Grimlock with them, and they're trying to do good now, or do better, I suppose. There was a brief stop-off on a planet with some nonsense that did reveal Scorpionok and the Grand Architect are in play, and we saw Getaway's crew with their, their, their shenanigans of sort of like, you know, Getaway trying to keep the crew compliant, there was an escape by some good guys who, who made it out, but they did seem to finally discover Cyber Utopia, the point of this whole quest. Mention the scavengers. Technically, issue 13 is with Rodimus et al., and then 14 and 15 are a scavengers two-parter. For the ease of this podcast and coherent narrative storytelling, we're going to start with issues 14 and 15, and then go to 13, and then 16, whatever, it all makes sense. So we have a scavengers two-parter. Always fun to hang out with the scavengers. So strange that, like, (laughs) issues 7 and 8... A couple of appearances, issues like, what is it, like 48 and 49, something like that, and then... Yeah, it's, there are long gaps between these guys showing up. They are memorable, they are. which I think speaks volumes. Oh, about, it's like, the funny guys, they're back. <laughs> yeah, it is, but it is just one of those things where, imagine reading this, yeah. like, month to month, because obviously we've done this both times as, like, trade readers over the course of a few weeks, a few months, mm. whereas there must have been people reading this who, like, this is six years in at this point yeah. and they probably haven't been seen for i mean i guess two years at this point yeah. realistically yeah so it turns out all along the scavengers have been carrying with them quite a key part of the plot and we didn't really know it or yeah we did but if you're reading for the first time you didn't really know it there were some dangling mysteries like they found a crashed ship it was full of weird stuff with organics and tree robots and they've been having these kinds of adventures this will now all finally come ahead. Bizarrely enough, begins many years ago, uh, Shockwave liberated a group of Decepticons from Garrus 9, the, the Autobot prison that Last Stand of the Wreckers takes place on. Among the liberated prisoners are Scorpionok, who makes a run for it when the DJD come calling because, hey, you guys have all like, betrayed Megatron in some way. And that escape leads him to the service of the Grand Architect. So, like, Scorpionok immediately questions, hey, why would you let Bludgeon go on his own way? And, like, as we painfully know from <laughs> the other book, Bludgeon went off to do his own separate side schemes that all lead to Dark Cybertron. Bludgeon will show up at the end of this little prologue uh to like chase the djd away but yeah it's just a cute little continuity thing shockwave calls tarn damus which is his like we've always called him glitch his real name once we learned that his actual name is is damus like brainstorm's name isn't brainstorm technically it's it's i forget what it genitus something like or genius i don't know several of them have nicknames which makes it confusing when they're and they can have birth names that are just like everyday words but hey they also draw him holding his mask in his hand just full face reveal like now we know who he is tarn is just fair game (laughs) and we learn that grimlock apparently gave him the scars he has on his face which is why he wears a mask and also (laughs) they won't see him looking away from the violence he loves to inflict so shockwave is like you know shockwave plans for everything he's like i can get out of this i'll trade you the whole crew for me because that he's on the DJD's list. And Tarn is like, nope, I work top to bottom, no diversions. And Shockwave is like, but that's so illogical. <laughs> Which I actually think is kind of a funny... Like, 
it keeps both of the characters intact as we know them in that Tarn is a fucking ridiculous extremist person and shockwave he's like he's like me i make a list and i go through the list in order and you don't (laughs) go away from the list because the list was done in such a way that it makes sense and but (laughs) i would liken you more to shockwave in that you are ruled by logic (laughs) and this is very illogical that you can get 50 things crossed off your list if you give away one thing from your list. Yeah, but I think the others are like, they're pretty easy. They like, are, but like, if, quite if the aim is to down. cross the whole thing off, getting 50 in one go, when they could all scatter to 50 different corners of the universe afterwards. Anyway, I feel like they... Why is, why is Shockwave on the list? Because this is like something that I'm... like The, the timeline of yeah. where the various kind of loyalties lie, because obviously like Shockwave is... Every comic that I have read, obviously he has the other scheme down on Earth mm-hmm. with like Soundwave and being like trapped down there, and this is... After that, I have to assume, yes. or maybe even, yeah. So it's like I just, I just can't tell in the timeline where we are with Shockwave because, like, I, he... I think this is one of those things where, like, the events of the IDW continuity are far more limited in scope than one may realize. Where, like, you assume so much of G One happened, but really, like, they land on Earth for the first time. Well, most of them land on Earth for the first time in All Hail Megatron, and like, the events of the war are very nebulous. Whereas, like. You know, if I just go offhand, I'm like, oh yeah, at some point Shockwave like challenged Megatron for leadership, and and at some point Shockwave filled the void when Megatron was thought dead and stuff like that. Like, I don't know where any of that would happen in IDW because all of that happens in the like many episodes of the cartoon <laughs> and the old Marvel comics and stuff like that. But Shockwave has always been in it for his own purposes. Like, he chose the Decepticons because they had better resources quite frankly like megatron got him on board by being like hey you can have this lab and you can have a new hand and all this shit yeah it's it's just obviously the the famous thing near the end of the war is that shockwave builds megatron a new body but obviously part of that is to to further his like dark cybertron goals and all the rest of it but it is just this like obviously it makes sense that shockwave would be on the list i just don't know what what he's done at this point yeah no idea it does seem the djd stopped doing this style of like you work top to bottom because when we first met them they were going after black shadow and then they went after grimlock and then they got wind overlord was available so they diverted away to go back did they think overlord was just like out of the universe or something so they gave up on him or maybe they've maybe they've just got this thing where like the list is printed out and it's like (laughs) Oh, we've we've got number nineteen on the list, but if number sixteen on the list were to like suddenly show up, they would go, "Oh, you're more important. right." But that's like, the whole point here is that like they have maybe it's just like a physical distance thing. Like if Overlord's in front of them, and then like all of the others are over there, they wouldn't divert. But if they happen to stumble across somebody who's lower on the list, they get them. But I don't know. He starts talking yeah. him to death down the phone. Tarn's, like, ever-nebulous powers. So many opportunities to just have talked to everyone in that big final battle doesn't do it. But let us not forget, he can talk you to death. Uh, He does note Shockwave did once push him to, like, you know, oh, let's see the limit of your powers, because he could only... At first, he could only manipulate non-sentient electronic devices. And then, obviously, as back when Shockwave was a senator and... Glitch, aka Damus, was was one of his little, I've taken you in to protect you and teach you how to use your powers and eventually he learns to (laughs) shut people's hearts down by talking to them. Shockwave just shoots the fucking phone, which seems to shock Tarn, but like, why wouldn't someone just like... I know like the hand holding the phone is paralysed, but 
you know, that he just points his free hand at the phone and shoots it right next to his head. Maybe he was like, he wouldn't fire a gun near his own head, but yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, as I said, Scorponok, Flame, who we met previously, uh, who looks an awful lot like Rodimus, and Flywheels, who was a member of the Scavengers that was murdered by the DJD at the beginning of the book. In his, in his like, first appearance, yeah. he gets murdered. So the three of them just jump into fucking space, because they're like, the DJD are here, we're fucked, so let's just chance it out in space. Flywheels never actually mentioned to his fellow Scavengers that he was already on the list. <laughs> Because they all assumed the DJD had come for them, and they'd actually come for Grimlock. And when they show up, he was notably more panicked than the rest of them. And if you recall, he cannot tell a lie because he transforms, so he just lies by omission instead. But turns out Flywheels was technically already on the list when the DJD showed up, and he just never mentioned it. The scavengers will end up taking him in at the time they're going by the foragers. (laughs) You get these neat little details, like Crankcase was the pilot of a prison transport ship, which they stole. Misfire was the prisoner being transported, and then they all just form a little group together. But more interestingly, yeah, Scorponok drifts through space, and in a scene pretty evocative of Unicron taking in Megatron in the animated movie, the Grand Architect, who is portrayed as just a blinding flash of blue light in space, shines this symbol we keep seeing onto Scorponok, says he belongs to him now. And yeah, as as we learned last time, Scorponok is Grand Architect's like main general, whatever you want to call it, and he's been doing all these experiments that we keep seeing clues around. So in the present day, the scavengers visit Trojan Major, which is where the Lost Light crew, or some of them, visited with all the grief buying and all that nefarious stuff. They get paid to go and try and recover the Magnificence, which, yes, the magical search engine. I actually think that their, like, description of the Magnificence, like, it's kind of, like, done for humour, but then it's also actually quite helpful as a reader, where they're like, yeah, it's like a sentient search engine shaped like a ball. An eye. An eyeball. You ask it any question, it tells you the answer. None of these dealers knew what they had when they had it. They just called it the recess cradle, and they knew it could resurrect the dead. Already quite a valuable thing, but they did not know. It is the holy of holy magnificence, and it can answer any question. They say how, like, the Omega Guardians had this thing. They didn't mean to leave it behind when they ascended, but you can't take other races with you, whatever race the Omega Guardians were. <laughs> I forgot how much they tried I know, to use I know. Issues. Like, the Omega Guardians have been name-dropped here and there, more in the other book than this one, but, like, very much here and there. They are never actually depicted anywhere in comics because they've already ascended when Rodimus, years ago, met them as Hot Rod. There's this thing that Shockwave always theorised that the Magnificence was Cybertronian and one of the former Knights of Cybertron. He is shockingly close with his guess. <laughs> Which makes sense, Shockwave plans for everything. So yeah, the Magnificence was left behind. It has one of the other five symbols on it, not the one the Grand Architect uses is interesting. Nickel has ended up with the group, as we saw when we interrupted the Mutineer trilogy. <laughs> They're, like, having a little scrap on a planet. They're caught up with, like, Deathsaurus and, and the other former allies of the DJD. Nickel gets separated. They all get pulled to a portal. It was by this dealer who wants to hire them. So Nickel is trying to call Deathsaurus to come and get her. He's not picking up. Grimlock comes outside and says, Grim... And she's, you know, you think you're doing the whole 10 thing where all he says is Grimlock, me Grimlock. And when he says, Grim weather we're having. Yeah, he's he's managed to regain some semblance of, like, himself since the, we last saw him. Because obviously he was he had a very limited vocabulary yeah, last time. The current record is seven words in a row in a sentence. <laughs> 
I, I do like the theme of these scavengers issues, which is very similar to like what's going on with the Lost Light, is that like as they roll along, they just gradually pick up more yeah. and more outcasts. And that's a fun thing of these issues is Nickel kind of being like a little bit standoffish, yeah. but then by the end of it, like she fully understands, like, oh no, I'm I'm one of yeah. these guys. I'm I'm one of these idiots, even though she is presumably like more intelligent. You have to assume that given more time, there would have been more to like Nickel's arc yeah. because Nickel really is just just dropped in there as part of the DJD randomly near the end of More Than Meets the Eye. Yeah. And then And she's like this... hardcore worships or maybe even romantically loves Tarn and felt betrayed by what he was doing, so linked up with Deathsaurus, who was sympathetic, and now she's ended up with these guys, and they will eventually end up, like, fully adopting her. And she, they draw these, like, flashbacks where, like, she was not allowed to come into the group huddles kind of thing with the DJD, and the scavengers will let her into one, and it's Grimlock will even be like, yeah, she's one of us now later, which is nice. I love that the dealer doesn't mention fucking Scorponok is involved in this. He's like, oh, yeah, Flame. Uh, Flame's after it. Yeah, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> So they go to wherever it's believed to have been, the planet Confluence. They find another of these big crash ships that look like a giant Decepticon logo, and they are just, like, immediately captured by Scorponok. <laughs> There's a fun bit here about, like, they're like, oh, can't you scan for it? And it's like, there isn't a button for every conceivable thing you can scan for. It feels like a riff on, like, on TV when you see people just saying, like, enhance. And, like, in most sci-fi, it's like, oh, yeah, I just scanned for something we couldn't have possibly known we'd be looking for. Yeah, someone installed this thing that allows us to pick up, like, microscopic specks of, <laughs> of this kind of specific radiation. It's like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're set upon by these, like, tree bots. They transform from trees into, like, little tree robots, which they found the corpse of one of these in their previous adventure. When they did this previously, they did not have a mostly full-strength Grimlock with them, and he fucking murders them all, and they do a wonderful panel of, like, all of the scavengers looking in horror at what he's doing, and we don't get to see it, which I think is always fun when you do that kind of thing. It is this interesting thing where, and I feel like, again, it is one of these things that's kind of very hastily brought up and then isn't really part of the actual endgame of the entire series, Mm. of... Scorponok's main plan is to build an organic being, yes, essentially, yes. and these tree cons are and one of those. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, obviously it's wood, but wood is not as uh, hardy as metal, and so therefore Grimlock just absolutely destroys all yeah. these tree cons. Grimlock who can breathe fire as a T-Rex, Grimlock whose sword can go on fire um, when he's in robot mode. I believe he recovers that sword in uh, Revolutionaries, or, yeah. Yeah, so I haven't read that, but you get to experience it soon. I do get to experience it, but it is, it is this interesting <laughs> The only benefit really to being a organic being, I guess, is to interact with other organic beings in a in a stealthy fashion, I guess. Well, they reproduce, is the other thing. <laughs> oh, that is the other thing. That is what they get, I guess. I guess it is the solution yeah. too. But they, but fundamentally it makes you a weaker species, I guess. Yeah. But I guess I guess in this book, which is kind of like fascinated by ideas of gender and mm-hmm. and where things come from, then the ultimate question at the end of this is what would happen if you managed to have a natural way of reproduction for for transformers? I mean, you can just say, can't they just build more? But it's the spark that is the like the secret source of transformers because like they are as we as sometimes comes up and sometimes they just go with it. They're not robots. They are not automatons who you just assemble and program. They have a they have a naturally occurring 
life force, a spark that gives them individuality, that dictates what they turn into, their whole personality, their skills. Some of them can do magical things, others can't, all of this. They did find a way to, like, sort of copy a lot of sparks at some point, but you need the Matrix for that, and the Matrix is gone. So they can't do that, and their numbers are dwindling. So yeah, Scorponok wants to take advantage of organic reproduction to, like, boost their numbers. But yeah, he, he attacks, he kicks the shit out of the scavengers, and Grimlock tries to attack him, and he's just like, go to sleep. And it works. So he can mentally control Grimlock, it seems. He reveals to them that Grimlock was a living prison for the Magnificence to keep it safe. The Autobots called it, like, the safest place in the universe inside his chest cavity. He could only give it up willingly, so Scorponok tortured the ever-loving fuck out of him, which is why he's mentally deficient now, because he just left him like a drooling mess, I think, is the, is the implication. And that's not forgetting that Overlord also tortured the fuck out of Grimlock, possibly to try and get the Magnificence himself, possibly just because he loved torturing people, will never be clear. Like, Grimlock has always been famous for... Like, they've always come up with reasons why the Dinobots are a little bit more feral, and Grimlock more so than all the others. I think it's a sort of a cute little way to sort of backdoor your or retcon your way into like why that is and why Grimlock was in Garrus Nine and all these other things. Yeah, I mean obviously it part of it is because the Dinobots are hugely popular yeah. and so therefore you need to give them a reason for why they're a little bit different. Yeah. Like I guess they're the like the only major subgroup of characters who like has like a name decision around them mm. that don't combine i guess is they do like, combine though is the problem they do combine they do combine now but <laughs> they, they didn't, didn't combine yeah they were just like an elite fighting force and like they've at times been portrayed as like more powerful as dinosaurs than as robots that they are the rare group that spend more time in their alt mode than they do as their robot mode i've always found it interesting they don't really ever treat them like beast changes which you know is seen as like a subclass like a like a lower class of citizen and they're never really treated that way maybe because they're much scarier than like a little panther creature and a tiny little annoying pterodactyl and stuff like that but yeah so scorpionock as he can control them he can control grimlock he tells grimlock to rip the others apart which he seemingly does and then he asks to talk to scorpionock but then like it's revealed that like this was all a plan and he was just distracting Scorponok, and the scavengers are very much still alive, and they they draw upon Scorponok heavily armed. We we get the reveal. I mean, obviously, it's been a thing that's been mentioned a little bit throughout the series, but like, if you hit someone in the back of the head in just the right way, it will trigger their transformation. Yeah. When they were trying to find out what Rung turns into, <laughs> finally, <laughs> Swerve was like, "Oh, if you hit him in just the right spot, you can make him transform." And we've seen this successfully done at least once. Nickel will do it here, like. Grimlock does begin rampaging and robot mode. She knocks him in the back of the head. He turns back to dino mode and he's suddenly talkative and reasonable again. Basically, they've figured out something was wrong with him. Nickel diagnoses him with non-fluent aphasia, which is like yeah. the body the body transforming has damaged his brain module. And because of like where his brain module is in robot mode, it actually like makes it work better. I so think, uh, No, I think the other way around. I think when he's in dino mode there is a natural pressure applied to his brain that makes it work better and then when it's right. in robot mode it there is no pressure and then his aphasia is in place like i i you would think pressure would be bad but apparently applying pressure is good so that's why because they in the other book one of the dinobots got their head chopped off in dino mode and then he was still alive because their brain is not <laughs> it turns out in their head in alt mode when they're in robot mode their their brain is in their head but because their heads end up 9 out of 10 times stowing away into their chests. Yeah, 
So Grimlock is more eloquent as a dinosaur. When he's a robot, he's far more savage and less talkative. And luckily they have a genius surgeon here, <laughs> Spinister, who, God bless him, he comes up with so many ways to... Like, like the writing for Spinister is incredible. Don't be fooled by his behaviour, his attention span, or his inability to differentiate between day and night. Spinister is a genius surgeon. Uh, he doesn't even notice his arm has been ripped off. He's like, oh, I thought something was strange. Because <laughs> Grimlock <laughs> yeah, did yeah, start like, rampaging. It's, his balance was off, and he was like, oh, that is... <laughs> oh, right, yeah, <laughs> did... my arm. That's the guy, like, I, even in, this is kind of very obviously like barreling towards some kind of conclusion for these characters. Mm. I say some kind, just, just in terms of like, this is the last two scavenger issues that we're going to get, but they're still finding times for jokes, even when <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have the big bad Scorponok who is like asking them to be completely dismantled and like, all these other different bits and pieces. Well, I mean, you need the jokes. When you were meeting so many characters all at once and there's so much continuity they're trying to reference and then you get dumped with these five random Decepticons and two of them have identical colour schemes and stuff like that, giving them the jokes is like, okay, I may not know which one is which by name, but I know they're the funny guys. So, like, or like the even funnier guys. So, yeah. But like him having his arm ripped off is what gives them the idea to like, hey, we could tactically dismantle ourselves in a way that looks like Grimlock dismembered us and then put ourselves back together. Because Ratchet talked about how like, oh, if you just turn off this sensor, you can actually easily survive having your legs pulled apart and, you know, all these kinds of things. They also then like did the surgery to make it so Grimlock remains intelligent in robot mode as well. So he like bluffs that he's like under Scorponok's control and he doesn't remember who the scavenger even are and then yeah we get the reveal so like they've got Scorponok cornered the Magnificence is in the room it won't answer to Scorponok it only answers to specific people and no it will it no was... but it will though right no sorry yeah it will talk to Scorponok it, it has a morality lock so it won't talk to evil people but Scorponok is no longer wholly Cybertronian because of some absolute nonsense in the early days of IDW where like Scorponok was partially bonded with a with a human which has left him with like unique brainwaves so he is able to talk to the Magnificence but the Magnificence does kind of pick and choose it has a degree of sentience so now the scavenger in the room it basically tries to rat Scorponok's plan out but then because Scorponok's got such a huge ego he's like hey no I will reveal my plan thank you very much and it is as we said he's trying to develop an organic life form pops open his chest and we have just one of the most fucked up panels <laughs> In all of Transformers. He has like a little floating fetus in his chest. It has a Decepticon logo covering its face, which they'll later be, yeah, maybe she's got like the worst tattoo in the whole universe, but she's still a little baby. But yeah, like he's going to place sparks into these babies that can somehow, like they're not just babies, they've been in some way modified to hold a spark. They will grow up, reproduce those sparks will split in some way organically and then he will take those sparks back out and put them into prefab bodies. So it's a very elaborate plan he has that would presumably it's, it's, take and it's, a very long time. But given they live millions lot, of years, I mean... Yeah. yeah, and it's a lot to dump into like this issue at this point. Like, Especially yeah. when this is kind of the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. It, He tries to get them to turn on Grimlock. They won't do it. Grimlock, he tries to like mentally control 
Uh, like his whole thing where he can control you as well like this feels like Tarn on steroids like anyone who's ever been a Decepticon he can mentally control <laughs> yeah a lot of this does feel like the what we talked about in the last comic book episode where it is Roberts and Barber kind of trying to see where the like here's our checklist of things that we need to to kind of like close off mm. and Scorponok isn't a loose end per se he just kind of vanished from the books at one point yeah. but they obviously like i mean you you've told me that in the notebook scorponok has always been planned to be i think he was in place of tyrest as like the main villain of season one or like working with tyrest which will come to pass but like you know always planned as a long game big bad and just doesn't show up until right at the fucking end but that's the thing is like he we get introduced to this master plan of like i want to create a race of cybertronians who are organic and can reproduce yeah. like organically and then for the rest of the book he obviously is in the last light issues with the the, the rod squad but he is not yeah. seemingly pushing forward on this goal <laughs> at no, any no. point during those issues no nickel very wisely asks the magnificence how do we win and it turns out you slide a phone to scorpionok and he's apparently dumb enough to pick it up and listen uh she has a recorded voice message from tarn in case she's ever captured. There's like, oh, I hear you have my friend. I'm going to talk you into shutdown now. Just an excellent question by Nicole. <laughs> so they're all able to get free. Grimlock wants to murder Scorpionok, but the others talk him down because the baby. So they take the baby. They all run. They want to go somewhere safe to remove the spark from the baby and give it a normal chance by going through a teleporter. Unfortunately, the teleporter would kill the baby. <laughs> So Grimlock takes it, puts it in his chest, which, as we've already learned, is the safest place in the universe, and shoves all of them through the portal. So apparently they are safer away from this, leaving Grimlock to 1v50 them all, than if they and Grimlock together took them all on. Like, that's apparently I guess safer it's, I guess it's one of those. <laughs> it's one of those things where Grimlock is going to have to be thinking about protecting all of them, yeah. whereas if he's just got the baby, he's only thinking of himself. Yeah. And um, Grimlock is when they like, get... you know, we've talked many times about, like, who are the most badass Transformers. Grimlock is, like, way, 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 way up there, so... Yeah, he is He is the definition of the 0.1%er. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then the scavengers, when they get pushed through this, this transmat warp, they end up, apparently, inside Grimlock's cell on Garrus 9, yep. which and is not a good place to be. will not talk to them anymore, and they are locked in, and that prison is abandoned now, so they're fucked. Yeah, so the, the, the final pages of, like, the, the guys locked in here is, like, zooming out of the prison and showing that, like, it's completely yeah. desolated and abandoned since the yeah. events of Last Stand of the Records. I like that like, Grimlock had carved on the wall kill all cons kind of thing <laughs> because of yep. his, uh, his time there. So as I said, we're now going back to Issue 13, which does take place before these, but just in the interest of forward momentum. So yeah, they are all on their little ship. Yeah, they have they have turned this deceased uh, Decepticon into a ship using the mass displacement that they learned from Rung in the in the Functionist universe, yeah. and they use it basically as a, a corpse ship that they are <laughs> flying around the universe it's in. A dinky it's little kind of... ship. It's very cramped, which, you know, does lead to tension. Primarily, Swerve and Anode start a prank war with each other. Both silly little guys who, well, and a gal, who, yeah, they just prank each other. Like, Swerve gets Velocity to tell Anode that she has a second head inside her butt. Anode <laughs> tells him that he's really famous on Caminus, which, you know, this is not a proportionate punishment <laughs> for saying that. But, 
you know, there's all this stuff where, like, she gets Ratchet to tell Swerve he has a bomb in his brain that will go off if he speaks a certain number of words, and we get a countdown that is, of course, accurate. Like, every word is accounted for. Every word's accounted for, and Swerve, like, is is really struggling to, like, <laughs> limit his words. Like, the, the, the final joke of this arc, or of this piece, is that he can't resist explaining the full extent of a of a joke he played yeah. on Anode. He, he uses his used... final words to reveal his big prank. <laughs> Obviously the bomb isn't real, so he lives, but like that would have killed him. <laughs> he sticks her face to Ultra Magnus's face with some like magnetizing spray. Like it's fun. It's very much calm before the storm. Yeah. It's very much this is the last kind of like normal thing that these characters will get to do because yeah. we're about to go into some like very fucked up territory we are. We are. Uh, once we get out of this. But like these two characters interacting is the last piece of comedy that really this book will see. Yeah, you get a bit um, of levity before we go into twin finale arcs. The others are all up against it as well, like Magnus tells Cyclonus about his self-help book he's writing that's supposed to provide rules for every conceivable situation. (laughs) Cyclonus makes a pass at him, and he rejects it, and walks away embarrassed. Cyclonus is really going through it since being broken up with by Dalegate. Chrome Dome and Rewind. (laughs) So Roller's very big, so he changes into, like, van mode, and they... They crawl inside him and canoodle, in his words, and he is furious to learn this later. But hey. Yeah, kind of fucked up. A little bit. A little bit weird. A little bit weird. A little bit weird. (laughs) Ratchet starts losing colour. His hands start shaking again, and he will eventually become intangible, which we will deal with very, 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 very soon. Brainstorm has rebuilt his early, early warning system, which we didn't cover before, but his early warning system wasn't warning him early enough, so he now has an early, early warning system. Which uses the voice of famous Decepticons. And And Optimus. It's Optimus and and Megatron. It's Optimus and Megatron, but he's talking to Nautica. Probably Nautica, yeah. I think he's talking to Nautica, and Nautica keeps on getting the name of who the voice is wrong, because it's doing these very famous quotes from Optimus and Megatron. It will be like, then... freedom is the right of all sentient... What the hell is that? And that's the warning. <laughs> um, and I think it's actually very cutely and very obscurely. We met a Decepticon who sounded exactly like Megatron, and she yes. guesses his name for Megatron. And in Last Stand of the Wreckers, there's a robot who looks an awful lot like Optimus Prime and has a condition where he believes he is he's starting to believe he is Optimus Prime those are the two names she guesses yeah it's it's Nautilator and Pyro yes Yes. but yeah and then you'll remember Tailgate got buried back on Necro World like he got tricked by Decepticon you know he was buried to like diffuse his powers and then the Decepticon murdered the doctor who did it and buried the hatch he's he's under so he was seemingly just gonna die like left under there for another six million years however long Luckily, Fortress Maximus and his little growing crew of people, they finally trace back, you know, when they all thought they were going to die at the end of More Than Meets the Eye, they sent out these, like, funeral messages for themselves. Fortress Maximus and many others were like, oh my god, trace the signal. But it was, like, three weeks ago, so they couldn't help them. They arrive on Necroworld and, like, clear up this mess, so they kill the few Decepticons that were still milling about and I'll just say it's really helpful that Fangry may have covered the hatch but left the control station five feet to the left of it completely intact with all and of the notes. Cor- and, and a corpse. And, a corpse. Well. and all of the notes on what was being done so that's very convenient of him. Fortress Maximus and Red Alert like just they're all they're just kicking ass and it's like why aren't they in this book again? <laughs> like I know it's, like, a few too many faces when we've already got this huge cast, but, like, you see them just rocking up and 
just absolutely stomping everyone and you're like oh there's, yeah <laughs> there's so many things that happen where like there are characters that get parked presumably because roberts didn't have like enough content for them mm. but then they're always waiting in the wings that they can come back at any moment yeah. and obviously fort max and red alert they both got to have that arc in titan's return mm-hmm. which i think when it almost feels like it's a thing to remind you that they exist or or yeah. what i don't know because obviously this is like a very brief appearance from them that kind of is just used to cliffhanger that something has happened to tailgate well on the ground yeah and so he radios Rodimus and tells him Tailgate is dead. We don't see what they saw, but they tell Rodimus he's dead. He tells Cyclonus, who is, of course, devastated. And that sets off all this, like, them being so physically close is making tensions run a bit high. He then just starts fucking rampaging. <laughs> Almost kills Rewind by accident. Like, Anode, like, pulls herself off Magnus's face, bumps into Cyclonus, who lashes out, misses her, hits Rewind, Chrome Dome starts fighting Cyclonus. Cyclonus, like, snaps about, like, oh, Rewind always gets to survive, while Tailgate keeps dying, because he has died before. And they just, they sort of, like, they're kind of, like, arguing who's the better couple. Like, it did seem that some fences have been mended between these two couples, but clearly there is still some resentment. Particularly from Chrome Dome. I think Rewind's good with everyone. but And then the ship starts shrinking with all of them still inside. The, the, the artificial growing is wearing off. You know, Ratchet, as we said, is becoming intangible. It seems like they're all just going to be crushed to death. But Ten, who can only say Ten, because he is kind of a non-sentient automaton, but maybe not. He says, in a very eloquent voice, The fate of the universe depends on you doing exactly what I say. And that freaks them all out, of course. It's obviously a trick that Roberts has used with two characters now between Ten and Grimlock, and obviously we we highlighted the similarities between the two of them. But there is something about a book where every single character is incredibly eloquent, Mm -hmm. having ineloquent characters suddenly be able to speak fully eloquently. Spoilers, this does not end well for Ten. (laughs) It's kind of really fucked up how badly it ends for Ten. Mm. But yeah, Yeah. like uh, this is kind of a sad thing that happens where Ten is basically used as a i guess like prop uh, of the villains prop yeah a prop of the villains but also a kind of signal for like how bad things are about to be for our characters yeah so this is a three issue arc called the everlasting voices and they are ostensibly finding themselves in the finale of lost (laughs) (laughs) um they all wake up separately in their own towers on a strange, desolate world with a giant matrix floating in the sky. And, like, you know, we talk all the time about things we love that only comics can do. The first page of this, you get six panels, three on each side. Rodimus is one of them, Cyclonus is the other. They're both, there's no dialogue. One is happy to see the big matrix in the sky, the other is not. It's just a cute little art flourish. Yeah, Cyclonus is happy that he has died because the, the, the giant matrix in the sky implies that they have crossed over into uh, the, the, the after spark. Yes, yes. And, and Rodimus is like, no, I've still got <laughs> shit I need to do. <laughs> Nobody seems to remember who they are at first, how they got here. Drift will postulate that those that remember better are those who are more religiously attuned. Basically him and Cyclonus and nobody else. Maybe Swerve. Brainstorm's early, early warning system will not stop saying "Uh uh-oh, and it will eventually just overheat to the point he can't hold it anymore, which, you know, none of that can be good. Nautica and Nightbeat get to work translating some text. 
that is that is around these towers. It is about Primus and the Guiding Hand. It is a specific translation by the order that Cyclonus belonged to, and it is word-for-word word text from the 2012 annual, which you'll remember all the way back <laughs> from uh, episode four of the podcast, where, yeah, Cyclonus told, like, an origin story, like a god origin story, about the Guiding Hand, who are these five godly bots who, hey, they're going to come back up now. <laughs> a lot. It's just a cute little thing of, of, of repeating that dialogue and, like, making it... I mean, it was always within the plot because Cyclonus was narrating, but to then put that as the text, like, he's memorised it word for word kind of thing. And they do a fun little joke where Brainstorm's like, find me someone who takes the creation story literally, and then Drift walks in coincidentally and is like, hi! Because, yeah, he's a big religious dum-dum. Both rewinds are here! <laughs> Because yep. the dead will start appearing as well. Like, they're, they're sceptical about this whole, like, this is the Afterspark thing. But then, like, members of the crew who are dead, like Trailcutter and Pipes, they start popping up. So we end up with two rewinds, and they ostensibly form a polycule with <laughs> Chrome Dome and Dominus Ambus, who's also here. So you have the four of them all holding hands, and this is their, this is their thing, apparently, and no one should kink shame them for it. Yeah. <laughs> It's an interesting thing of everyone seems to be getting something mm -hmm. that they were missing in life at this point. Yeah. And the first sign that something is bad is obviously Rodimus starts talking to, to Ten. And Ten, his demeanour seems to have changed a little. I think the implication is the voice he says Ten in was different when he warned them all they had to do what he said. And now it seems to have changed back to his Ten voice. But he's still talking. And he's very excited to have his first ever conversation. Rodimus interrupts him, and he's very excited about that. Um, <laughs> he's, it's exactly as he pictured it. It is a good bit. Yep. But basically, he gets so elated that he is having a conversation with Rodimus that his spark leaves his body and flies into the matrix that is floating above You're them. making that sound too poetic. His chest rips open, and his spark comes out, and then his fucking desolate corpse is left on the ground below them. Yeah, and this is... Ten is dead. Ten is gone. Ten is gone forever. This is not a thing that is like, you know, it will ultimately be revealed this isn't as it seems, but this is real. He is dead forever, gone from the book. And it's only after he expressed how thankful and happy he was that he ascended. This Cyclonus takes this as like absolute proof that like, yeah, we're all dead. We tried to get off the ship by like just spacing ourselves and then we all died. And now yeah, we're and here. basically, <laughs> yeah, he's basically like, this is giving you what you've always wanted, and when you get what you want, you ascend. Is basically yeah. the idea here is that like yeah. this is this is a happy place, and, and you will you once you reach enlightenment or whatever, you will yeah. you will ascend to the afterspark. And or like completely. he's not the only one. Nightbeat always wanted to solve one of the big three mysteries, which is where did Luna One go? Which we we learned what happened to the Ark, which I guess was right at the beginning of IDW. I mean, it's it's the Dark Cybertron stuff, isn't yeah, it? Like yeah. that's where it went. It went to Dark Cybertron. He spent many years in Dark Cybertron, yeah, uh, or in the Dead yeah. Universe, I guess. But his whole thing is he wants to solve a big mystery of life, and they all keep yeah. getting solved, and he hasn't done them. And then he comes. Well, even even when he's involved, they're like being solved without him having to do anything. Yeah. Like he's so and close, like, but so far. And obviously, that's the thing that's been happening over the book as well. Is every single time he actually manages to come up with something, another character will come in and go, "Yeah, someone else solved that." Like. <laughs> minutes ago like without you doing anything and yeah he decided to add to the list of mysteries about life the afterlife and now he's here apparently that makes him happy that he has solved it and he ascends and he is also dead so by night I thought, I thought it was doesn't he figure something else out well like, he starts following a 
trail of photon crystals, which he previously learned from Rung, that Rung produces these, and then he realises that there is still a mystery. It's tied to Rung and the afterlife, and it's just him realising there is another mystery to life, and, and yeah. he ascends and he's gone as well. Obviously some of them are like, very incredulous about this. Like, Whirl is like, we're going to play a game, and when someone asks a question, nobody can give an answer that requires further explanation. <laughs> Velocity tears this idea apart by being like, okay, please explain literally anything that's happening. <laughs> he does not like that very much. Ratchet is the most annoyed by it. He says it's on anyone who uses God to fill in the blanks to prove that they're dead and this is the afterspark. And he's like, actually, where's Drift? I don't want to have this argument twice. Yeah, I think this is actually really well done in terms of the characters who are like fully on board with this mm. and the characters who are not. Like Some of them do start getting really like happy and like relieved about it. Like Swerve becomes much more pleasant unless like I'm going to be a little shithead all the time and Velocity will tell him, I like you better this way. And like they're... I never really picked up on it first time through, but there was supposed to be kind of a romantic subplot with these two that was bubbling in the background and it never really comes to anything. But yeah, this is his moment of like Velocity likes him now and yeah, I don't know. And yeah, like obviously Cyclonus is like, wait, if the dead are back to life, <laughs> I'm fucking out of here. And he flies around the planet and he does eventually find Tailgate. And in one of the top five moments in any IDW Transformers book, we get this little panel of Cyclonus holding Tailgate in an embrace that just, yeah, that panel is immortal, goes around forever, and uh, like he'll tell him he died the moment that Tailgate, you know, broke up with him, basically, and just, yep. they're very, very cute to each other, they say I love you to each other, it's, yeah, it's wonderful. But yeah, it's very obvious that, like, Nautica, Rodimus, like, well, they're not characters who... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like they sit comfortably here. Like I don't like, and I guess the part of that is this world is not actually giving them what they really and, want. And there are signs this isn't quite as it seems to. Like some of the dead crew know a bit more than they should. Yes, and and, and things like that. And eventually, Rodimus decides, hey, you know what? This sucks. Actually, I demand an audience with God, and he is struck by lightning and transported to meet the guiding hand. I fucking love that Whirl says when Rodimus is hit by lightning, he's like, now there's a god I can believe in. (laughs) (laughs) He literally yells, yo Primus at the sky, which the more religious people are mortified by. Magnus is like, I actually imagine this is exactly how a theological discussion with Rodimus would go. (laughs) Um, He's snapped out of it in the first place by Whirl being like, hey, what would Megatron do? Because he's being a little mopey bunny who won't (laughs) engage with any of this. Yeah, and then they are drawn, yeah, the Guiding Hand are drawn as these five absolutely enormous robots, like Rodimus is on a little platform, and they're all, their whole head is is like twice his size, and we've seen their designs before, they are very much drawn to look very different to any other Transformers, a little bit more like, I don't know, 1950s sci-fi robot designs. Yeah, they're, they're like a little bit softer, a little bit kind of more in line with like, I guess like Metropolis. Or, yeah, or... yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. So yeah, he, he comes to meet them. They all speak, their speech bubbles are in a different font, which I always appreciate font work like that to distinguish special characters kind of thing. Yeah, Tom, Tom B. Long is the letter on these issues. He's been like a long time Transformers guy. I mean, he doesn't get to do quite as much as like the fancy lettering every so often, but obviously always nice when he does get get to do something like this. You know what else speaks in special font? The Magnificence. <laughs> anyway, Rodimus is allowed to call a defence for his, his quote-unquote judgement. He calls Drift, Ratchet and Magnus, in his words, faith, science and the law, but their plea 
to be resurrected is denied. It's a good thing he did call Magnus, though, because <laughs> shortly before he calls him, Dominus tells Magnus, his brother, his long-lost brother, that he's proud of him, and he begins to ascend, and then is snatched away mid-ascension. So, knowing that they permanently die from this... Good call. I do like this as, like... Because, obviously, Rift and Ratchet left the book for a while. Yeah. But, like, these four... And I'd probably put Megatron in there as well yeah. as, like, the fifth. And I feel like these five... There is a world in which these are just the five main characters of the book. And I think I it think is... I think that was the intention. And then it turned out that all the side characters were the whole heart of the whole book. And, like, there were far more interesting stories to tell with them. And, like, I don't think it's a failing. But, like, I do fully understand how, like, if you're plotting out who your characters are you would go to a big four or five and then actually be like yeah but you know what they don't need as much like they're already big i think it's just a shame that realistically in the grand scheme of things like those five characters only really got like 10 issues like if that mm. where they actually got to interact i think they and get feel... a lot late is the thing yes um, they do and i think that's what really does the work for them is those five characters do get a lot of time and obviously each individual character has like another pairing which worked really well, mm. like Rich and Ratchet and Drift and Drift and Rodimus and Rodimus and Megatron and Ultra Magnus and Megatron. Like yeah. they all got to interact in different ways. But I do think that like the core I mean, I guess like apart from the queerness mm -hmm. at the at the centre of the book, they really are kind of the thematic core. But they will get queerness like, as well at the end. <laughs> they will get queerness at the end as well, which is obviously lovely, but like, yeah, but they they really are kind of like the centre of the, the thematic and yeah, the... They're, they're the big uh, plot guys, you know? Yeah. Like they're, they are the ones that, when shit is hitting the fan, these are the five that are front and centre to, to fix it most of the time. To kind of like remind you, if you haven't read the 2025, uh, 2012 annual in a while, Drift tells his favourite Guiding Hand story. It differs ever so slightly from the one Cyclonus told, but he talks about the god war of the other four against Mortalus, who wanted to bring death to the universe, and during this war, you know, three of them were turned into the first brain module, the first sp um, transformation cog, and the Matrix. They describe the Matrix, he describes the Matrix as half impulse, half reaction, which, if you want to be very poetic about this, when Optimus split the Matrix in half and gave half to Rodimus and half to Bumblebee, that sure does describe them, impulse and reaction, given Bumblebee's mm -hmm. book is being a reactionary politician, and Rodimus just does whatever he feels like all the time, <laughs> which is cute. Yeah. It's kind of to, to remind you of like what the deal is with the Guiding Hand. We have like the God of Death, the God of Knowledge, the God of Wisdom, <laughs> the God of Change, and just like God. <laughs> like, like the... Yeah, it's like it's like Greek mythology, I guess, where it's like you've got all these gods that are gods a specific thing, and then you've got like a god at the center of it. That's like, yeah, but this is just the, the this king is the god. Best one. The one. Primus is the main one, and like you know, all throughout the history of Transformers, they've used Primus as like a stand-in for God. But yeah, what he adds to the concept is that like after their big war, their mind they kind of lived on as abstract concepts, which gave them consciousness, which allowed them to create the Afterspark, which is where they now find themselves. The Guiding Hand are like, yeah, close enough. They end up sort of interrogating Rodimus about his reasons for wanting to be resurrected. It's very similar, like, if anyone reads Radiant Black, there is a big issue where, like, the main character is confronted with a higher being that demands he, like, really interrogates to the truth of what he feels. And it, it, it's very similar here, where, like, they keep not accepting his answers. Like, oh, I want revenge on Getaway. And they're like, nope. And then he's like, oh, I want everyone to be back on the Lost Light. He eventually comes to, like, you know, all my friends were happy when we were on the Lost Light. And then he is forced to admit 
that a lot of them sure do seem to be happy here, and then they are dumped back into the world, case closed, no resurrection for you. But then they do... Several people have been converging on a temple, sort of in the middle of, of, of this planet, and, like, after some exploration, they do converge on a... They find a ward full of aliens in comas. Brainstorm and Nautica end up in here, and, like, Brainstorm meets Quark, his long-lost yeah, love, they, who suddenly they loves keep him on, too. They keep on throwing in these characters. Like, every time they get close to something, it feels like they throw another character in. Like, that's kind of what happens to Nightbeat. Like, Nightbeat could solve something, but he gets distracted by trying to solve Rung's alt mode, yeah. and Nightbeat, and then Brainstorm meets Quark, who's in love with him, as you said, and then Nautica runs into Skids. Yeah, and God damn it, this is clever, because... <laughs> It doesn't work on her, because as we discussed, her grief was extracted via the feeling she has for Skids. So like, while she's like, hey, I recognise you, she does not emotionally care, so she just yeah. walks away from him, and he like, dissipates Whatever has happened, into thin Whatever's air. happened is here has obviously seen that these two have a connection. Yeah, it's read but... it as raw information, but not, because like, at, at, like a computer would, but it has not read any emotion, so she doesn't care, and she's able to walk away from Skids, where like, no one else can walk away from their little perfect distractions uh and then he like disappears into well he i say he disappears into thin air he like swirls into nothingness yeah and then she finds a door that says do not open she opens it and behind it are the scavengers exactly as we saw them in this cell in grimlock's cell so clearly something is very very wrong here well clearly we're on garris nine right like that's, yeah this that's is where we are we they've, they've ended up in prison the prison <laughs> subjects them to mental torture she and they realise after some, some meeting that they are perceiving things a little differently. Like they're reading the same piece of text and it says different things, which crashes the simulation. I do like her trying to bluff them that she's got a finger gun that Brainstorm invented. Yeah, you guys know Brainstorm. He's invented the handgun, <laughs> um, which is a, a fantastic piece of wordplay and basically yeah, manages to get them to, to back down. Yeah. It's all it's all good and fun. Again, like even when the book is like, I mean, because I think it's like when you're reading it, there is something like off settling yes. about this entire Everything's arc. A little but too like, perfect. They surely our main characters aren't dead. Like yeah, like like we're gonna find out that Ten and Nightbeat survived, and mm. the part of you in the back of your mind is going like, mm, those two characters, they're not exactly like main main characters. <laughs> so if you're gonna kill someone off, it's probably gonna be characters of about that stature. Yep. But yeah, and it, but like you kind of sit there going like, yeah, and then we're gonna wait up and we're going to find out that like they're still alive and that is not where this goes when you die in the matrix you die in real life Ben. <laughs> yeah it's clearly taking its inspiration from the red dwarf episode camille where she shapeshifts to look like your ideal romantic partner so she can eat your brains and then when she's presented with two people in the room at once she struggles and she's like becoming these fucked up hybrids and then she just completely glitches out and it's yeah they are str the, the the simulation is struggling to create something for both the scavengers and nautica because they have nothing in common and it just glitches out and we're left with yeah. instead of this very religious looking temple it becomes this very clinical everything's almost like, a, almost like a like a medical center yeah, almost like that. because meanwhile rodimus and that they come across the Stone Guardians, who were like tied to the Omega Guardians. <laughs> and they find these coma patients, and they defeat the Guardians. But then, like Ratchet smashes all the medical equipment, which causes the simulation to crash for them as well. And he is able to identify this is Madiri, which is a euthanasia clinic. <laughs> this is like so fucked it's up. It's super fucked up. They stumbled across 
a place that you normally consent to go to, and there are telepaths that feed you a personal utopia until you accept your death. This is basically what Chrome Dome was going to do. Long ago in the book, he went to a euthanasia clinic where he met mm. brains. Where he met, but I think that one was a more. That's more like a suicide booth. This is like a very, very fancy. No, I know, but, I, I, but it's still the same concept because yeah. obviously they don't say he went to Madiri, but obviously yeah. I think they are like they're these inherently they are these very linked, and so like this is a concept that has been around for a while in these books. Has Madiri actually been mentioned all that much yes. in the run? Yes. So, so Velocity left to work on a Madiri facility. It's implied they don't do this anymore, and they are just medical facilities. But the original was a euthanasia clinic. Yeah, this is basically um, where we find out that this is most likely... Where the, Cy- the Knights of Cybertron ended up. Yes. Yeah, they... this is Cyber Utopia. This is... This is, yeah, as you say, like this is where the Knights of Cybertron turned up. They actually they go through the records, don't they? And mm-hmm. they find. So we've uh, seen a drawing of like sort of almost artist's interpretation of. Well, I think it's real because like it matches. But like the Knights of Cybertron all marching, looking all very proper, holding the Matrix and holding their banners, and off they went to find Cyber Utopia. We see that recreated, but. It's now them landing on Madiri and being welcomed by, like... Yeah, like, they were looking for a new Cybertron, and Madiri fed that vision to them. And then they but made a map this... and send it back to Cybertron. Yeah, it's this really fucked up situation where, basically, they left Cybertron searching for a new place to live. Mm-hmm. By going out into the actual universe, they were the first Cybertronians to meet organic beings... And basically contracted like a a cyber like a disease that was killing them slowly over time, yeah. which eventually kind of like when they were in Madiri's orbit, they got guided to Madiri and landed on it, thinking it was the Cybertron, and then yeah. basically were forever tricking other Cybertronians to come to this planet. Because yeah. like Rodimus was... is like, hey, plot a course from Cybertron to Madiri, and it's a perfect match for their Matrix map. They've been following all this time. <laughs> And yeah, I guess the knights just happily, peacefully died in their sleep. And all of Cybertronian legend is built around these fucking doofuses. Like, imagine you've never left your hometown and then you get on, like, 30 planes. Like, they got very <laughs> sick. <laughs> well, I really want to pick Roberts' brain. That Like, where did where did the kernel for this come from? Because you've got the notebooks for, like, the season one. Yeah. But, like, this is... The notebooks like... for season two, so the end of More Than Meets the Eye, are going i think by the time you hear this they may be out so i obviously can't read them because we recorded in advance and then i assume he will finish them up to do lost light as well later but yeah but i just want to i just want to know where he came up with like what this is where i decided how the knights of cybertron arc was going to be was they were basically (laughs) like how long ago did you know (laughs) yeah like yeah they they got sick and then commit suicide technically is (laughs) but it's like forced suicide well i don't even know i don't actually understand if madiri kind of takes hostages and is like off you go well, I think it's, it, it kind of feels like it's a corruption because obviously, like anyone who comes within in like landing Range on it, teleports, yeah, yeah, it starts to want to commit suicide. But obviously, like the reason the knights were kind of drawn there was because they were sick, yeah. And there's no proof that these guys are sick at this. I point. mean, maybe they, maybe they did land there and they're like, yeah, this is our medical facility, and they started treating them, and then it became. But then they did consciously send the Matrix map back. I don't, yeah. I don't know, maybe while they're conscious and experiencing the simulation, they're like, oh cool, this is Cyber Utopia, let's send the Matrix map, and then they're slowly guided to death. So we've we've now 
this is this is now the last like the big mystery of the entire book of like going to find the night subtron has been solved mm-hmm. and obviously this then then starts to mean that the happy endings for all of everyone else starts to to kind of like end so you see like the the other rewind and dominus ambus start to like fade away yep. and you see yeah i'm trying to think of other characters who've shown up at this point like um, there, there are just various ones yeah they, they do like trail cutter goes away and pipes who have like shown up as like those characters and cyclonus takes tailgate into an embrace because yeah, he thinks that... we are sure off he goes and like whirl is like scolding everyone for coming near them is like let them have this moment and and you know cyclonus finally says i love you at this point like, like he has not said it before but then <laughs> just like rewind somehow this tailgate is allowed to remain while everyone else fades away it's also revealed that like when there are multiple viewpoints you know they struggled to make one that worked for both Nautica and the scavengers, but I guess if they have time to prepare, the strongest will dictates the vision, and that was Cyclonus because he wanted to see Tailgate again. So they generated an afterlife where he could see Tailgate, and it also happened to fit all of them as well. So that's a fun little thing. But just when everything looks sort of anticlimactic but vaguely happy and that they're not dead, spark eaters begin to descend from the sky just not just like any spark Drift's eaters vision. uh yes not just any spark eaters they are all mutated from the mutineer crew who as we remember did seem to find cyber utopia when we last saw them <laughs> so the implication is they all fucking landed here as well all died and then their corpses got turned into spark eaters but that's not actually strictly true but it is exactly like drift's vision we are missing Grimlock, but he's about to rock up. Spoilers. So his vision is coming to pass. And we head into our six-part finale called The Crucible. So as I just said, Grimlock does rock up to back them up. Because it seems they're all unarmed. They very much panic about a combat situation. <laughs> but then Grimlock, Thunderclash, various others, they, they rock up and back them up. Grimlock, it turns out, did kill his way to safety. Dropped the baby off on Trojamasia. Which is where these other, the escapees of the mutineers, they went there for medical retreatment, so they all linked up and came to rescue them. Rodimus is very disturbed by an eloquent Grimlock. <laughs> like an eloquent and friendly Grimlock, which is a nice touch. Misfire of the Scavengers and Swerve instantly become best friends. It has been pointed out many times they're basically the same character. So. <laughs> and like Misfire will say the sentence, that's how I like my explanations hard, fast, and confusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, we have to point out the, the levity when it happens every so often because this arc mm-hmm. is a lot. It is a lot. It's very, very plot heavy. We are in the end game. People are dying. Many, many revelations. Strap the fuck in, folks. So Getaway dropped more Spark Eaters on them. So while they were temporarily winning this confrontation, they are then forced to retreat. Getaway is talking to a hologram of Tyrest, <laughs> who's alive. I think it was actually confirmed in like a prose backup story to issue 21 or 22 that Tyrest didn't actually die he was arrested and then escaped so this isn't actually a revelation if you're doing good work and actually reading everything which my bad for saying he was dead getaway now works for the grand architect i don't love that yeah it's a sign of this is definitely done rushed where you have to imagine that there would have been a clean getaway and rodimus conclusion arc before they got to cyber utopia i mean i mean obviously that is entirely speculation on our part we don't know whether or not this was always going to be the plan but or like between cyber utopia and the actual finale like a, a good clean here is just them retaking the last light arc and then that 
takes them into the end game but it does seem they were told you've got a year to wrap all your stories kind of thing all the books ended they did one final unicron event and then all of it gets rebooted to a brand new 2019 continuity which i read about 18 issues of and struggled to keep up with and then i just stopped reading it i think it made it to 40 ish before idw have lost the transformers license but yeah, it is an awkward reality that, like, yeah, this it book just, it just ended earlier like, than it was supposed to. We basically have a situation where every single villain, apart from Overlord, is now in these kind of, like, last couple of issues. Like, I think, yeah. like, Tyrest is here, Getaway is here, Northern obviously Tarn has, Tarn has died, Overlord is it obviously tied to another series of books along with this one. Yeah. But yeah, Scorponok is here. So you've got those three as the faces that we know of as the villains, and then on top of that, you've got whatever the Grand Architect. Yeah who even they don't no one has seen his face he is coercing them and no one gets to see him and the reason for that will be revealed shortly but we need to deal with the getaway of it all first yeah i don't love that he's working for him because it like it very quickly becomes untethered anyway like they all abandon him and it's like did you achieve a whole lot by having him serve with them only to be abandoned like I think is I I do like the actual confrontation between Rodimus and I Getaway. Do. I, th- I do as well. I think that is actually well done, and obviously has a fantastic panel near the end of it that kind of like ends the ends the arc that Rodimus has been going on this entire book, really. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is at this point something that needs to be done kind of rushed I, because yeah. it is. I think there are like three of these in this stretch where it's like you do something that then immediately changes to something else, and you're like, couldn't you have just gone from A to C? Did you need B in this scenario? And I don't know. In a fully fleshed out version, maybe it does all organically blend together much better, but because of time, we have to make some edits and kill some darlings. So some of them stay behind on Madiri and actually manage to cure the Spark Eaters. But then Rodimus manages to take a hand-picked crew, board the Lost Light. They're immediately separated. <laughs> so it's just Rodimus and Cyclonus versus Getaway, Star Saber, and Scorponot. I've always found it a bit weird that Anode and Lug keep getting brought on these adventures that seem to be, like, very combat-heavy. Like, is Anode actually, like, a complete badass, it turns out? Or <laughs> I have to assume that it is very much they're the main character, well, not the main characters, but, like, part of the reason why they dislike liked is that they just they got thrust uh, into main character dumb yeah they got thrust into there they were the the i guess you would call them the audience surrogate characters mm. in in a weird way for for this volume yeah. and so they they keep showing up but like i don't object to them being prominent i'm just like if you're picking we need 14 people to retake the ship why are they why are these two the other thing is, is like, is there any reason to mention Anode or Lug after this point? Not really. The last significant thing that Anode and Lug do in this entire series is the prank war with Swerve, which yeah. is a similar situation to Swerve in all honesty, except yeah. Swerve does get some moments in the final issue. Like, but again, like, there's there's a whole list of characters who were really important in the early days. Like, Chrome Dome and Rewind don't get a whole lot to do in this final arc. Yeah, like they've made amends after all of the injecting yeah. and the Dominus stuff. Yeah, they've had their emotional conclusion at this point, so like, there's not really much for them to do. Then, I mean, Chrome Dome is more of a fighter than a lot of these other characters, but like, mm. I think they're kind of settling into like retirement yeah. stuff. But like, there, there is a whole list of characters who like are around at this point who really are not going to have that much to yeah. 
contribute to this final arc and their moments will be saved for the finale and Anno and Lug are like two of those yeah. big ones where it's like I mean they do talk about like I can take four of this size eight of this size and four of this size and it, maybe it's just like hey of the minicons you two are probably slightly more combat ready than Rewind and Tailgate and I guess Tailgate's powers are gone they don't really clarify that but mm. It is kind of suspiciously easy to get aboard. Like, they try and trap them all in the hangar bay and drop the oil reservoir on them, but Cyclonus and Rodimus make it under the doors, so everybody else is left in a big vat of oil and scraplets to, like, (laughs) fend for their lives. There was one giant red scraplet. Whoa, we'll end up taming them i gather he bonded with them in the christmas special which you've read and i haven't yeah it's 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 a cute issue i completely forgot about it until the little <laughs> director's quote at the bottom said read the read the christmas issue and i was like oh yeah they did have those scraplets in that issue yeah, i gather he kept uh, some and like he bonded with them and then like it's, they it's all, all got chucked all... in the same vat and his guys overtook those guys and he can now yeah, control basically, them <laughs> basically he like he takes them under his wing as like a baby and they start to like treat him like it's, it's like a kind of a, a classic yeah baby bird bonding with someone that isn't really the their mother. The killer monsters or... have, have imprinted on Whirl, which is appropriate yes. as he is a killer monster himself of a type. It is cute enough, but it is one of those things where it kind of hurts the way that IDW has done this, because those Christmas issues are not in any of the trade paperbacks. Nope, that's it's why in like I have a, never read them. It's in like a collection of like a sub-collection of the series where they get a whole load of like the single issues. I think like it is literally a Hods and sods kind of thing. It's the Revolution Transformers collection right. is where they include the holiday special because the holiday special has nothing to do with Revolution as an event, does it? It, it does not, but it is because that one includes issues for Till All Our One, Transformers, the the self titled series, and More Than Meets the Eye. And the holiday special has one special for each of those because obviously it's the right. three kind of like Windblade, Till All Our One, James Roberts, and John Barber, and and Magritte Scott who are writing those, and so it makes sense that you'd include it in the one that crosses over all three of them, mm. but. If you've got no interest in not even the revolution event, just the revolution transformers part of the event, yeah. then you're not going to read right. any of that stuff. Yeah. Which is a shame because, again, like I think it sounds to, fun. It is fun. I actually quite like all three stories in that issue, okay. but it is one of those things where that one actually has more to do in the main plot than the revolution till all the one issue <laughs> does. I think there is like one reference to that, which is that one of the scavengers was on like an online dating website. Yes. <laughs> he's like the the big reference that is included in this. Obviously, you mentioned that like, um, Grimlock gets his sword back in that issue, but mm-hmm. like realistically, like that is just a thing that people would just go like, "Yeah, cool, that happened off panel." Whereas mm-hmm. these scraplets are like kind of key to a character surviving. Yeah. For the character. And but the, the other funny thing is, is these scraplets has been useless the entire time that they've been used as a threat, yeah. and it's like that's weird. Like, obviously, the scraplets have been a thing. Like, I feel like every 10, 15 issues, like someone uses the scraplets to do something obviously they were inside magnus's mouth like way way early on mm-hmm. and the reservoir has been around for ages because that's where red alert kind of like tried to kill himself and combining it but like, the last time they actually came up in this book is when riptide is like jump dumped in there as like a, a, a kill method but he Just swims still out. <laughs> he swims out and like it's like oh okay yeah but um, that is because he was the only like getaway did try to remove his ability to transform and it didn't work so like it would no, have I killed know, him it, if not for that. It would have killed him, but it is just this weird thing where it's like and they we did don't eat actually... twenty five crew minimum. <laughs> 
that is true, but we didn't get to see it. It's one of those things I where know, like, we when are, they've actually we are been told. shown to do things. And then when we see them here, they're able to combine into like a giant sea monster and then a different sea monster. <laughs> and, yep. and then they just end up as like a fun little guy that's like standing next to a wall. <laughs> Yeah, Cyclonus and Rodimus, who huge part of the end of the Transformers ongoing before this whole section of the continuity all started. Like Cyclonus played a huge role in saving Cybertron from certain destruction at the end, and that's why he got this pardon to be on the ship. So these two versus the three big villains. Cyclonus kills Star Saber in a gloriously anticlimactic fashion. <laughs> he just Star Saber, who is like just being like a fashy villain the entire time that he's kind of shown yeah. up. Yeah, it just gets chopped in half. Yeah, he makes him chase him. Like, they, they're both in plane mode, flying through the hallways. And then Cyclonus just turns into robot mode, holds his sword up, and <laughs> fucking Star Saber flies through the sword and cuts himself in half. Do you think Roberts likes the Japanese transformer? absolutely no idea. He's bringing him in, but then, like, yeah, he made Star Saber a real dick. <laughs> and then just killed him. It's, it is funny though, because you look at Star Saber's design, and Star Saber really doesn't look. Star Saber looks more like a Voltron than he does look like an yeah. actual Transformer. I think it's like the he has too many colors. Like normally, a Transformers figure is kind of like two colors predominantly, mm-hmm. but Star Saber is literally like red, blue, yellow, and white. Yeah, and just got a little he bit really too comes much off, going on. A <laughs> little bit too much going on. Feels almost like he would be like a Megazord yeah, or yeah. or a Voltron. Yeah, he looks more Toei than. Yeah. Scorponok kicks the ever-loving shit out of Rodimus. Because Rodimus is, like, he's relatively combat-ready, but, like, he's not a point one percenter by any means. Scorponok no, is yeah, just like, handing him his ass. That's the funny thing about Rodimus, is that, like, when you meet him for the first time in this entire series, he is, like, just a guy who is untru- like doesn't trust the Autobots and is, like, shouting at Optimus for, like, what he's doing, and eventually, like, he gets turned to the side of, of good and all the rest of it, but he really is very much at this point kind of going, like, you guys are not helping things. He's your Poe Dameron, he you know? Like, he's, like, a, a young hotshot. I mean, he's called Hot Rod. Like, he's a young hot shot who like thinks he knows best and then like he does get humbled by upper management eventually but then he does grow into the role of an actual hero but like he's constantly picking fights and he's never afraid to fight anyone but then like he does just get the shit kicked out of by Scorponok and thankfully Tyrest then teleports Scorponok away which leaves Rodimus and Getaway one-on-one. He says how, like, Drift believes in these unseen special forces that protect certain bots and let them achieve their goals, and he never believed into it. Uh, never believed in it until now, because he's just been handed Getaway one-on-one on a silver platter. So they have a little chase. They end up in a furnace. Getaway is threatening to destroy the whole ship by triggering a huge explosion. They share some home truths. Like, Getaway says that, like, basically he's got nothing left to live for when he reached Cyber Utopia, and his whole plan was he thought he was the next Prime. He would discover Cyber Utopia, save the species, be named Getaway Prime, be worshipped as a hero, blah blah blah. When he found Cyber Utopia and found it was Madiri, I think he even says it showed him nothing. It's that like you have no soul kind of thing. Well, maybe it's just, like, the thing you want, you we can't actually give you. Like, we don't have the power to make you a prime, yeah. which feels like it's maybe. it's the the thing that is driving Getaway, is that, like... Because I guess there really is nothing to kind of differentiate a prime from anyone else other than... Well, they talk about yeah. these signs of affinity, and it's like, you know, your eye colour, and, like, you react differently to this and that, and... and... Sure, but, like, obviously we're gonna, we're gonna get into, like, the, the core sign of, like, that you're a prime is that you get to open the Matrix. Yes. And 
that is something that is very much going to play into the end of this book Mm -hmm. but like i mean maybe they could have given a matrix to getaway and he could have opened it and been like oh look i'm prime but like Like i feel like spared him and he actually did come good in the end maybe yeah i don't know but yeah like he was he was left with nothing and i think that is actually quite a powerful thing of like getaway is almost like a cautionary tale of rodimus or like a rodimus without the heart kind of thing because they are very similar to each other and it's why i think they annoy each other like i think getaway sees rodimus as like a a rival to his his claim of like i want to be rodimus basically but i think he doesn't do it quite right so i do think that's that is powerful to like have your villain like confronted with the truth and like he's just despondent now and he's got nothing to live for but then he's like then the grand architect took me in but now they've abandoned me and both accuse the other of being obsessed with them cyclonus ends up cutting getaway's arm off to stop the whole explosion threat and then getaway finds himself in the fire basically (laughs) i think he tries to kill himself i don't know he tries to kill himself he runs away because he doesn't want whatever rodimus is going to do to him yeah it it seems to be the implication but rodimus basically says like he he has the realization that he's been going on like i need to kill getaway this entire time that has been his like motivation that is like why he wasn't tricked by what happened on madiri Mm -hmm. like was was like even though they can give him god he actually wants getaway and they they keep on like obviously like anytime anyone mentions it like he leaves megatron behind because because magnus says getaway to yeah. him and, but like, and all he, these he had his interiority with the you know the fake guiding they may be fake but it's driven from his mind the fake guiding hand were like no you don't care about getaway like he cares about getting the ship back and like when he really confronts it revenge is the like petty teenage version of his motivation he actually yeah. just wants to be he wants to be captain not to be in charge but because he wants to make everyone on the crew happy and he wants to provide for them and protect them and and lead them on fun adventures and like Killing Getaway isn't part of that. And he lets go of his anger, and he basically is like, I'm the bigger man, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he walks into the fire, and he comes out carrying Getaway. His new paint job is purple and blue and pink, all melts off. So he's back to red, orange, yellow. I don't know if this was like, Roberts wanted to do this to like differentiate him physically, because there's so many red and orange bots, and then editorial are like, no, you've got to have classic Rodimus at the end. Or it was always planned as a temporary thing. But like, yeah, he's, he's back to classic look just after you've gotten used to him being purple because obviously they made they do make the point it actually works well as an emotional like denouement for for the character because mm. they made a point of he is wearing these colors because these are colors of of vengeance and, of, and he's and like of revenge. vengeance so there goes his paint job okay yeah no absolutely that sounds like a thing you would plan to be temporary then <laughs> but maybe it's like there were supposed to be more issues of it so it wouldn't feel so quickly discarded but again you have to remember if you're reading this like month to month <laughs> this has been the, the status quo for a year yeah, and a half true, now true i think that's the thing because i came to all of this right as it was ending or just before it ended and i collected it all in trades i did read it all basically in a very short space of time whereas yeah, it's- yeah real issues we're talking multiple years here it's it's one of those things where like when you hear people complaining that like such and such a character has died or like the status quo of this character has changed and you're like within two years we'll be back to the normal status quo <laughs> and like every single time that is the case like you think about superior spider-man and all the rest of it and everyone was kind of like in up in arms it's mm-hmm. like that series runs for 30 issues and death of you can Wolverine, read it in like death of xavier yeah. death of ms marvel like that one's a record because that's like two months it's like yeah. like she died and then she's back like two months later yeah. like that one and they had the fucking incredible. balls to do a like death issue with all the characters looking sad on the cover and everything like come on but yeah anyone who you know like even 
even something like Peter Parker and Mary Jane getting married and being happy, like that has to go away because it's better if he's by himself and no one knows his secret kind of thing. But yeah, it's hard to keep in mind. Like when you're reading these things, it feels a lot longer. But then when it's actually summarized into a trade paperback, you can you can polish off some of this stuff in like an afternoon. <laughs> They are then distracted with, like, you know, the state of the ship. Getaway does try to sneak up on them and kill them from behind. But Will saves the day. His little scraplets appear to Getaway as his vision of Primus, who is like, come, Getaway, I will set you free. And then they eat him. <laughs> so that's that's fun. His ideal way to go out was uh, was Primus, like, being like, it's all okay, son. Yep. So Getaway's gone. <laughs> yep, this is kind of where the book changes. Like it's kind of like it's almost like it's a it's a two issue arc to end, and then you kind of get like two for Getaway and then four for the the big Grand Architect space game. And it really probably should have been like six and six or five and five or something, but it yep. is what it is. So a huge rift opens in space, and you know everybody has to get out of here. Don't get sucked into the rift. Everyone reboards the Lost Light try to fly away they're forced to land on one of five duplicate colored coded cybertrons that are hovering around the rift like you know we learned this ages ago that like necroworld is hollow on the inside is a mold of old cybertron and clearly it's been used five times to create these five cybertrons yeah there's a geobomb briefly that goes nowhere I mean, the, the TF wiki, having now looked it up, because I did task you with like explaining this to me <laughs> later on, apparently it does go off. It's what knocks Madiri's Ward Zero through the Warren into the benzene cluster. Those words will make no sense to you because we haven't explained them yet. I don't really want to either. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to. I've just decided I'm not going to. You're not going to explain the Warren or the benzene cluster? I mean, I'll explain uh, the bit the... about the Warren, but the rest is just, yeah, he's trying to clear space in space. Or the ontological paradox that sent the Grand, grand spiritual ley lines and you know, fuck all that. that i mean this is this is where i text you and i said <laughs> you know what would be really nice is like they obviously have an idea of the map of like where they've been at this point it would be really nice to see a map of their journey <laughs> with like these locations like written down on them yeah. because this is my not my big issue at this point but i would just they name a lot of locations that have been like thrown out at this point and are kind of hard to remember what happened in that location or why that location was important and just having a map that i could flip to so i could go like, oh right okay that's where mm -hmm. trojan major was that's where this was that like this is the the relative like here are the places that they've called the spiritual ley lines i can see the link between them yeah. here is an overlay for like the warren on top of all of that do and know, how that do you know what would be really really cool if every issue maybe not every issue but every now and then you get the map like the matrix map they're following it's unlabeled, and whenever they visit a location, you then get that label added to the back of the book. So, like, yeah. here's where they touch down on Trojan Major, and like, ah, Trojan Major, tick. It would be really cool. But we're many years too late for that. <laughs> we're so like, too late for that, and obviously it's not something in the books, and there is content from the books that is not available yeah. here, because obviously there is all of the Swerve recap pages, which are not included in the book, yeah. because they would ruin the flow to have them individually. I texted you and said that like there is a letter from James there Roberts. Is. I've never read at it. The end of, at the end of issue 25, that is his farewell to the book. And That's actually quite weird to not include, because that is, yeah, like Jason Aaron's Thor letter gets included at the end of his Thor run. And, and all these other kinds of things that that's quite a weird one to not put in but it's already the longest trade they've done it's seven issues together i mean i think i think it is like a good like five or six page like letter but it is yeah. just the farewell letter from a, a long-running creator feels like something that you should include yeah. 
in the last trade. And another one of these things where I'm like, can't we go from A to C? So they have to land on a Cybertron. They're immediately surrounded and certain death. But then Nautica says the sim... When Skids perceived these symbols... She asked him to sound out phonetically. So, so she's, she's able basically... to say it out loud, yeah. And then that makes the Grand Architect like, whoa, hold up. Via radio, of course. You're speaking my language. What's going on there? So he's like, bring some of your crew aboard. I'm going to kill the rest. The Magnificent says, pick Rodimus, Rung, Ratchet, and Tailgate. But they're like, now nah, fuck that. Rodimus argues the entire crew should get to go aboard, so the Lost Light takes back off from this Cybertron and goes aboard this giant ship, and it's like, couldn't they have just been forced to land on the ship after leaving Madiri? Like, did they have to temporarily touch down and then go back up? And yeah, I don't know, maybe they were going to have an adventure on this Cybertron originally and that had to get cut. I truly do not know. It's time to meet the Grand Architect. It's fucking Farmer. It's not, though, but it is. It, it is. It's the weird thing where the Grand Architect basically tried to possess Skids. Yes. Tyrest yeah, so... Space Bridge didn't go to a physical location. It went to the mind of the Grand Architect. I am going to keep holding off on the final bit with him. And he saw someone in his mind, Skids, and tried to chase him, but he'd already gone back through. So he reaches tentacles through the portal and he he found Farmer's corpse and dragged him back through. And then I guess he put himself into Farmer's body. Yeah. So he's walking around as Farmer, you know, celebrated villain of the book, found his way on to, like, best villains in comics lists and stuff like that. Just just for his sadism, you know, cutting a bot in half vertically and just been a real stinker. Infecting people in Delphi and then pretending he didn't know anything about it. And So it's kind of like, you know, you talked about all the villains are coming back. That's the last one you, I assume, were deliberately holding off on saying, but it's another of the big landmark villains of the book. And yeah, the Grand Architect is not Farmer, but he's wearing Farmer's face. <laughs> and also, like, Farmer's all of his systems in there and so you end up he occasionally like is rediscovering his own personality for like a second yeah. and it's like why did i say and that it, kind of thing yeah it's why it's important that like ratchet is there and stuff like mm-hmm. that because it, it allows farmer to kind of like pull out of his mind a little bit yeah. it's very like when smith takes neo at the end of of matrix 3 and then he's like why did i say that because he's talking as as one of the many characters he's assumed we get this stuff with like Again, I don't know if I love all the villains I've never seen the Grand Architect, because you get them, like, gossiping and, like, starting to lose faith. Like, Scorponok and Tyrest are like, mm, I don't know about this. And, like, Scorponok has Sunder, who's still fucking alive. <laughs> you know, I can do nemosurgery on you without touching you. He gets him to try and invade their Unseen Master's mind. The Grand Architect just switches off Sunder's ability to do nemosurgery. I thought he had to make eye contact with you. So was he in the room with... Farmer, Grand Architect. I, Truly don't uh, know. Yeah, it's it's weird. Obviously, like the, the book is kind of running at a breakneck speed at this point. <laughs> it's actually quite funny that like it's relatively easy to summarize what's happening. True, I'm the, probably it, going too in depth there with this Sunder stuff, but yeah, know, but the book is the book is really running at kind of like this is this is definitely the quickest the book has been running. Yeah. And I, I I said to you at the start of Lost Light where it feels like there is less verbiage. <laughs> kind of like per issue yeah. now and obviously like it only takes a couple of issues and we're kind of back up to a standard more than meets the eye mm. kind of level but i definitely were, was feeling i was reading these issues a hell of a lot quicker it's kind of like reading. all action all the time here are a yeah. couple of reveals but mostly big grand space opera stuff is happening look there's a rift in space and yeah that's the thing is this is this is very much there's a rift in space there are giant space battles going on we're about to have what is basically 
a god-destroying planet mm-hmm. <laughs> happening. So the Grand Architect has been clearing all this room in this quadrant of space so he can build a god gun, which is five Cybertrons. They can fi- Cybertron can fire a laser, basically. So if you get five of them and concentrate their laser, it's enough to drill a hole in the universe. And he's like, there's a monster coming. I'll push it through the rift, and then the rift will close, and I'll save the whole universe. Scorponok obviously calls him a fucking idiot, because there is no monster, and he ends up setting the monster free from the other universe. (laughs) He is punished for this, and his underhanded scheming. With that reveal of its farmer, farmer saws him in half, just as he did before. So, yeah. Hey, farmer's here. Grand Architect's insane. We've got five Cybertrons who have opened this rift in space. There is tell of a monster coming. We briefly get the fake out that the monster is Megatron. (laughs) Because they keep talking about he is coming, he is coming. And then Megatron arrives. Hey everyone, Megatron's back. On his ship, The Last Light. Um, Mm -hmm. Very cute. But then he he is immediately followed through the rift by a giant, giant, giant Transformer. Unicron sized. They call it Primus, it isn't Primus, but for ease we're going to just call it the Giant Transformer. I mean, a better name probably would have been like Cybertronus or something. (laughs) Yeah, okay, we'll call that. We're going to coin that now. Cybertronus follows them through. This is the monster the Grand Architect says that he saw a vision of while travelling through time and like everything he's done has been to try and stop this and then of course he has caused it because yeah. villains are all insane. Yeah, and it's obviously a fun time travel conceit of you think the steps you're taking to avoid this are actually all the steps that were needed to kind of cause it. And it reminds me, have you you probably haven't. There is a TikTok of a man who is like dancing and like his hands and his feet are like flying at him and each time he gets that pose he like has to put his hands and foot in the way of that thing yeah. and then all of a sudden from the corner his head but on fire starts <laughs> to like approach him and he's like trying to dodge like his his like burning head <laughs> and it ultimately ends with him like backing into a corner and then Catching like a plane fly- a plane flies into his house and like it sets him on fire it's you, it's you quite cause this to come to pass yeah yeah it's quite funny yeah. but yeah like that, that is the general concept of what is going on here as as i read out earlier the tf wiki calls it an ontological paradox <laughs> this is the point where ty rest starts to be like yeah i don't know about this man <laughs> like i do like that one by one his followers are like no you're fucking crazy <laughs> yeah i do like that rodimus says the line i never thought i'd say this but he's not that bad when you get to know him about megatron because <laughs> grimlock's like megatron because <laughs> he's missed all of this they do bicker about like you ran away versus you left me but they they squash it really quickly i think basically the subtext is in addition to like we don't have the breathing room to write this properly they're just glad he's back <laughs> like the universe is ending so let's just make good with this so this primus starts destroying the other cybertrons so they can't use the god gun anymore that's what makes tyrest to be like wait you really didn't have another plan beyond this did you because <laughs> it, it yeah. just starts wrecking shit cybertronus is being controlled by the functionalist council they have all merged with vector sigma like the control not, unit of 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 cybertron it's not all of them though is it well, it's, it's like all except the one that betrayed them and is with megatron i think you only see like seven of them oh, like right. the, the tf wiki the tf wiki only list it's it's 12 3 1 2 11 6 and 5 i don't know if this again they all look very Maybe similar megatron I don't know. killed some of them in his many yeah, adventures I mean, that, in that the site is, is that that is what is so fascinating is this book does do a lot of stuff to kind of like imply how much other adventures people have gone on and part of that is the 
like obviously Megatron in the in the Functionist universe, like a long time has passed, yeah. and that is the reveal that you get so where curious. yeah he he's like talking to who is it that he's actually having the conversation with? Is it Magnus. is it it's Magnus? And Magnus is like you think that it's been three weeks since I last saw you. It has been yeah. four hundred years. He's, or 500 he's become years. a galactic hero. He's saved billions of lives in the Functionist universe. They've gone planet to planet and stopped the Council from from killing people. He's become his universe's Optimus Prime. Yeah. They casually Optimus. toss out that Optimus is dead in this universe. <laughs> they do. Like they call him Pax and say like like we've killed all of his like strongest mentors or his like uh, advisors. Yeah. And obviously Pax is one of those that is yeah. thrown out as a name. So this is another like we're gathering all the villains like yes the council are here now too piloting the giant cybertronus megatron scoops up as many of the crew as he can and gets them away so you know we get a bit of a reunion with some people he knows the names of all the scavengers which they find i read it as unnerving but i suppose they're happy about it but like he's just so nice <laughs> like he's so nice to a fault almost he saves drift's life you talked about how the big five like they all have individual dynamics the big conversation that's never really happened is megatron and drift never got to pass each other by and yeah. his fusion cannon, he has it again, unfolds into a med kit. Megatron always wanted to be a medic. Before he wanted to be anything else, before he became a miner and a gladiator and a political figure and a warmonger and now a ship's captain, he wanted to just be a goddamn medic. And what better way to teach the people of the Functionalist universe you can be anything you want to be than finally claiming his lifelong ambition to be a doctor. And so his fusion cannon opens up and it's just filled with medical tools. I think it also functions as a fusion cannon, but we never really see that. But yeah, he's, he's saving Drift's life and is just telling him like, hey, when I first met you, I told you you'd make a great Decepticon. Turns out you made a much better Autobot. You know, I kind of wish there was even more with them. Like, I want to hear Drift's side of this like dynamic. <laughs> but... We don't really get time. So, like, he saved them. Those that remain on the Grand Architect ship learn that the Grand Architect is an alias. He is actually the ancient god Adaptus of the Guiding Hand. However, <laughs> Rung is fucking Primus. <laughs> A- we have been we have been teasing this for so long. Yes, the evidence has been there. For an extremely long time. I will run it down in a second. The crew left behind is, it's an odd group. It's Rodimus, Ratchet, Rung, which is who the, the Magnificence wanted. But then it's Whirl and Nautica, for some reason. We've heard all these accounts of, like, the origin story of the Guiding Hand. Like, it, most people don't accept they're real. Like, we briefly were, like, confronted with the real then, but then that was a simulation. So it's like, oh no, they're not real. They are real. Mortalus became the Necrobot. Solomus is Tyrest. As, as he knowledge. No, he's wisdom. He's justice? No, he's wisdom. They, they specify between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is like knowing things and wisdom is giving judgment. So like, right. he becomes the ultimate arbiter of the law. The Necrobot became the Cybertronian Grim Reaper. So he's, he's mortalist. Epistemus became the Magnificence. There had been all these claims that like a member of the Knights of Cybertron Gave up his body and became the Magnificence. One step closer, it's the Ma- it's Epistemus, the god of like knowing things. So he gave up his body and became the Magnificence. The Grand Architect, I guess, was formless or something, and then ended up taking Farmer's shape, and then Primus became Rung, or, or has always been Rung, arguably. <laughs> it's kind of annoying to see this, but like they've had these five shapes, these symbols that that represent them all. Um, and they are the five like shapes that Skid saw, and we see them here and there. The, the one we see the most is the Grand Architect. They, when they're revealing who each one became, you see the symbol next to them, 
I might be reaching a bit, but they look vaguely like the people they are. And that's quite yeah. upsetting to realise when you're trying to put this mystery together. Um, none of them remember their past identities, except for the Grand Architect, because we hear his side of the big god war, and it was... Which, which is basically, like, we've had this all along, that, like, Mortalus is the one that yeah. betrayed them. Yeah, and the other four against Mortalus, and we've, we've, we've even seen it illustrated with the designs we've always seen, and we get this wonderful... They recreate the panel like for like, but they swap in their actual bodies. So you see Rung holding like a staff and the Necrobot flying in and they even swap the positions of like where Mortalus and Adaptus were, where Adaptus was on the side of the good guys and they were all it's, fighting Mortalus, they swap it, so they're all fighting Adaptus. It is a panel that is like hugely indebted to kind of Kirby designs. There's some yeah. Kirby crackle in like what Adaptus <laughs> is kind of firing. Yeah. It is it is very fun. It's super like, cute. Like Especially when like the old pictures of the the old Transformers is obviously done in that like very Marvel style. Yeah. Obviously indebted to Kirby, but also a little bit indebted to those old eighties Transformers UK comics. Yeah. Um but yeah, so it's it's fun to see obviously like they're aping one of the greats, but also just very funny to see that like obviously only three of them have had corporeal forms up to this point. Yeah. And the only one who we knew like I guess the only one that you could have guessed was one of the guiding hand was the necro that one makes sense the god of death here's a guy that saves people from or like catalogs the dead and and, and all of that kind of thing he has remained but why <laughs> yes but why do these guys not remember anything that's been happening because during this god war you know adaptus used a giant emp he calls it like nemosurgery on a global scale and he just wiped everyone's memories rung took the brunt of it which is why he is especially forgettable to people. And I will start re- reeling off all the clues that Rung was God in a second. But yeah, like, they all forgot who they were. And they all just assumed new roles and Cybertronian society. I guess some of them vaguely remembered some of it, but they got the details a bit wrong. So if you're told there's a god of death, there's a god of knowledge, whatever, of course you would assume death is the bad guy. <laughs> and, and, and in the old tellings, he wanted to bring death to the universe. In reality, Adaptus wanted to expand and just go to war with other species because war leads to advancement in a sort of struggle, for, you know, survival of the fittest. And the others wanted to stay on Cybertron and leave everyone alone. So they had the big god war. I do think it's kind of funny to reveal that the god associated with the Transformers' key ability to change shape ends up being their kind of, like, devil figure. Yeah. <laughs> like, the thing that makes them them is actually tied to the guy that is Satan for them, basically. But I also guess it's this thing where, obviously, transforming is not a key part of this book, and a key part of Megatron's entire thing in life is... Transform your mind, man. No, not even that, but, like, you are not your alt mode. Like, yeah. you are able to change and you're able to do this. And so, he's not a functionalist, though, is he, Adaptus? Like, he isn't basically saying that, like, you must remain the form that you always uh, are, but there is... No, but the guy most associated between mode changing, I could see how the Functionist Council fly around in a big transformation cog, and that was previously thought to be Adaptus's symbol, was the T-cog, and they fly around in a big one. So, like, they do revere Primus most of all, but, like, I guess secondary they they are most drawn to the guy that's in charge of uh <laughs> changing shapes yeah so yeah but yeah it is interesting but wait matt you've been saying all along yeah that that the the magnificence uh or epistemus now has been demanding that certain characters yeah. are are hanging around what what's going on with that um Kind of unclear, really. I mean, <laughs> can we get into that in a second? Can we just can we just go through some stuff with Rung that has oh, been yeah, sure. there? We'll go, through, in, we'll go through the wrong stuff in plain sight all along. So when we first met him, when he was trying to come aboard the Lost Light, Red Alert remarked, 
hey, you've got serial number 10 million. No, no, no. <laughs> One. He is the very first Transformer. He is the god of them all. He's How true it is that he split himself into five, we don't know. But... He sure is special. He has the serial number of one. You called it out in plain sight. When they went to Luna 1 and Rodimus stepped off that floating platform and onto the hotspot, it ignited, as you said. Rung was with him on that platform and they touched down at the exact same time. So it looked like Rodimus did it and they assumed it's because he had the Matrix, or half of the Matrix. It was because Rung is home. God is here. Everyone wake up. When he touched the Magnificence recently, he transformed into his weird ornament thing and everyone remarked how the noise he made made them all feel young you know we know he's very old he has survived certain death many many times he got his fucking head shot off and got better yeah which is a thing that like even though they say is possible not many characters have done it up to this point he heals his hand right in front of them he says how he can't he's lost count of how many ships he's walked away from crashes off because he has his collection of model ships and he says oh i served on all of them And it's an improbable number of ships, and a lot of ships crash in the Transformers universe, and we see a panel of him just walking away unharmed from a crashed ship as the only survivor. As I said, he's very forgettable, that's because he took the brunt of the blast. The very first time he appeared in IDW continuity was when those two bots in pre-war were joking, look at that guy over there, he could be a spy. And they they say he could be this, he could they give him a load of like grand roles that he could be. He's he's bigger than all of them. He's fucking god. Yep. And, like, we know he vomits the photon crystals that were used in spark splicing. One more than that, he can create the Matrix. Or he did create the Matrix, and he can create more. And, like, they ask him, is this true? And he says, yeah, I think it is, actually. And they do this whole thing where, like, being named and recognised and remembered triggers it all for him. It is interesting how the the memory thing kind of, like, fades in and out. Because, obviously, you've got characters calling him, like, Rang or, or like, not saying his proper name. But then, like, Red Alert remembers him well in the the Titans Return issues. And it's not inconsistent, but, like, there are some characters who definitely seem to have a a stronger memory of him. And they all definitely served on the lost light it's never commented that like freud obviously always remembers wrong mm. and that's because they had like and i don't know if it is just this thing where like when you spend a lot of time in close proximity to wrong he does manage his role to... does grow on the ship like like when yeah. they first take off some of them are still kind of getting to know each other and like i think it's over the course of the very early on rod has to ask which one is tailgate for fuck's sake <laughs> like... yeah and as they all bond, yeah, Rung becomes a core part of the crew. But he says how he always thought he was weird. He took up psychotherapy to to sort of investigate himself. They do hang a thing on it where it's like, when Sunder probed his mind recently, it sort of brought this even more to the fore. I don't know if you need that, personally. I think it's enough to just be like, I always thought I was weird. <laughs> Him vomiting up the crystals when Skids died and stuff like that. I thought that was enough, personally. I do love that World says God was my therapist and I strangled God kind of thing. Because <laughs> they're all obviously like, what the fuck? Not eyebrows. Right, so we have to clear the deck a little bit. So Farmer and Tyrest murder each other. <laughs> yep. I love that Tyrest hits him with the drill to the brain. And then they just both turn into those puddles of, of Sentio Metallico, just like the Necrobot did. So we're now, there's only two left. Yes. Yes, Rung and the Magnificence remain. So they have to form a plan to stop Cybertronus. They seek some help from the Magnificence. And it's like, yo, make more Matrixes and Rodimus Ratchet, Rung and Tailgate, you should what go is, open what, them. Yeah. 
that's the other thing is because that's the thing. It has the plan for the three of them to do this. Mm. And oh, sorry, what the yeah, point... three, yeah, yeah. Because Run is the, the one making for... them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It has the plan for three of them to do this, but obviously it wants them to do it in a specific way that will basically it wants them kill to it, kill but... Cybertronus and make it go boom boom, which would be yes, a big I'm enough not... explosion to tear the rift open bigger. Because yeah, because just to really fucking fuck with the mythology of this. Turns out the magnif- the all-knowing orb of, e- of, uh, of knowledge is evil. It's being controlled by the Omega Guardians. Or is the Omega Guardians, was manipulated by the Omega Guardians? Because he gave up his body to become the Magnificent while he was with them. So I don't know if there's an implication that as part of that they tricked him and like they took control of him or, or installed a control chip or... Whatever the fuck. It feels like at a certain point it stops being the magnificence that's talking to them yeah. and it becomes something yes, else. Yes, yes. It starts to get really agitated that they're not doing what it says. And yeah, the Omega Guardians, who, again, never drawn, mentioned, or, or prominent part of an issue that was, what, at least ten years old at this point? <laughs> yeah, they were mentioned in this, they were guarding this magnificence, they were, the, the, people assumed that the rock beasts that have shown up a few times were the Mega Guardians, they are not. The only actual depiction of the Mega Guardians at this point, you can argue, is the Magnificence and the Warren. Yes. They they ascended. For whatever reason, they didn't like it. <laughs> like, a lot like Madiri. One of them tried to get back through, died in the process, became... I guess they have, like, fourth-dimensional bodies, so, like, they became the Warren, which is this series of tunnels that, like, you move through the universe, through time and space. But by blowing up the rift and making it bigger, all of the rest of them can come through, and they want to eat the universe. Basically, they realise the afterlife is actually kind of boring. Yeah, but eating everything that exists wouldn't possibly result in nothingness at all, no. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so they basically, they want the Cybertronists to go boom boom they want the three particular like the the ones who show the most sign of Matrix um, yeah so there's a morality like, lock on the Matrix just as there's a morality lock in theory on the Magnificence I guess it's judged those three to be the most pure of heart and spirit Ratchet Rodimus and Tailgate and it wants you know three Matrixes would destroy it you know it throws its tantrum it kills fucking <laughs> Freud, Sunder, and 9 of 12. But then Nickel just crushes it, because Nickel's been carrying it around. On Yeah, you, you cannot begin to imagine what we are. We are expansive, we are manifold, we extend in every direction, we exist beyond the periphery of what you tell yourself is real. So when you say you will stop us, how exactly do you propose to do that? And then Nickel just crushes it <laughs> between her hands. The littlest little one just fucking crushes it with her bare yeah, hand. That is, it is a, I, it is a good bit. I, too much for me. I could have, I could have settled on just yeah the guiding hand stuff and then big cybertronus but then to have the omega guardians who like again this is such pre the book even starting continuity and they make out like it's a big thing and you're oh i must have missed like 20 issues about the omega guardians two one maybe yeah like yes their name dropped here and there but mostly in a book we're not reading. <laughs> like, yeah, it is weird. It is kind of like continuity cleanup. It, yeah, it does lead is, to. It does very much feel like there's a big checklist of stuff that's still on the table unexplained, and you must tick it all off before you finish. And the thing is, there are some really good character beats that come from this. Because obviously they then come up with a plan of we're not going to use three, we're going to use twelve situated in all the hotspots mm-hmm. on Cybertron. We don't want to kill Cybertron. We don't want to because Megatron is like, hey, the populace of Cybertron are still on there. So if we blow yeah. it up, we kill them. 
and that's what makes the, the Magnificent fucking have a tantrum. So they come up with a way to instead shut down the control unit, which the Functionalist Council have merged with, and that will save everything. And it's, yeah, 12 hotspots, 12 matrices, 12 people that can open them at once. With 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 backup, because there's obviously yes. like 24 main characters at this point, is, is the other thing. A, a minor bit of admin is the hotspots are only all accessible when it's in planet mode. So Fortress Maximus crashes Luna 1 into the back of its neck. Just like Grimlock, just like Run, just like whenever else this has come up. They just ding it in the back of the head, and it forcibly turns back into. Cybertron. Yeah, this is this is why this is why they have Grimlock do it a few issues ago. So it's in the mind of the of the characters, yeah. and we're obviously getting into like, well, where Fortress Maximus and Red Alert? Come I mean, from? He, because the Warren lets you travel through time and space. After they've done it, Rodimus tells them to go do it. And it's this yeah, it's, weird it's, fucking paradox loop. <laughs> it's very similar to like why Grimlock is here as well, because it's like it doesn't feel like the scavengers were locked up on in their little cell for that long. Yeah. But obviously, it was long enough for Grimlock to go on loads of adventures, and presumably that's because yeah. travelled a little bit through the world. Oh, and, and to, to kind of speaking of time loops and of Fortress Maximus, the reason Tailgate is alive is the fucking Magnificence had him teleported from his little underground coffin which is also what they did with ratchet where they slowly teleported him yeah to material. so we have this thing also, where it's... both the grand architect and the magnificence have separately been manipulating all events to get all the key players in the right place and it's like yeah, yeah as i said it is a hat on a hat on a hat like there is <laughs> you could have pared this down a little bit and it would make sense yeah. but this sequence mm. of what is basically i mean yeah. rung rung basically sacrifices himself yeah he goes into his office he 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 agrees to make his 12 matrices he goes into his office deletes all his patient files he was very protective of these like when freud came calling he was like no you can't have my notes and he's you know given how long livid he is i don't know if he keeps records between ships but he's potentially treated like millions of people. I think it, it is mentioned that he has met every single living Subterranean. Like he is, he way, is, yeah. he has crossed over with everyone. Yeah. He is God, and he has met everyone yeah. in some fashion. I like that his last little moment is a little just innocuous memory of Skids being like, "Hey, eyebrows, yeah. come with me," kind of thing. Like he was his best friend for whatever reason. Skids is like affable personality, and maybe bonding over lost memories. He just bonded with Skids more than anyone else. I also feel like, is it the, one of the first points of someone actually like caring about him and wanting him to be safe? Yeah. Because yeah. obviously, <laughs> couldn't like, remember his name, but still, the, the sentiment yeah. was there. <laughs> yeah. um, and yeah. when he finishes making his matrices, he's gone. I, is he in a puddle of, of the stuff as he's, well? Yeah, he, he becomes Sentico Mal- yeah. He is Sentico Metallico yeah, at, yeah, yeah. at the end. And, so and... he makes them and he's just gone. And it's super sad. So yeah, we've got the planet turned back. We've got our 12 matrices. Because they have to do it at the same time, otherwise the council would, like, sever the link. It can't just be Rodimus running from place to place. They need all 12 at once. They... So, yeah, so everyone everyone goes in, like, a pair. So it's like... Yeah, he picks... He's like, when I call your name, get your matrix. But obviously you need backup. So we get Tailgate with Cyclonus, obviously. Ratchet yep. with Drift, obviously. Which is also when they confess to each other that they love each other. Yes. Which is... Well, Lovely. they don't say the words, but, you know, it's no. all Thunderclash, obviously, with Spinister, of all people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> first Aid, good little bot. I kind of feel bad for not calling him out more earlier in the book. With Crankcase. Nautica with Brainstorm. Lug with Anode. Don't know why they decided Lug is purer than Anode. Maybe it was just one of you. <laughs> Whichever <laughs> one's the better fighter, protect the other one. Um, uh, wipeouts with them as well, isn't it? Oh, like, yeah, if... yeah, yeah, yeah. Swerve with Grimlock. <laughs> And, and misfire, misfire, yes. Not sure what misfire is adding to that equation, <laughs> <laughs> considering how light some of the other protection is. Roller with Chrome Dome and Rewind. 
really feel it should have been like rewind with chrome dome but hey it's yeah. roller yeah velocity with croc all the ladies you know and yeah. <laughs> anode like velocity nautica uh riptide who decided not to betray them in the end apparently that's all good with nickel and fulcrum magnus with whirl odd pairing and then rodimus with megatron obviously as you say ratchet and drift have their moment brainstorm and nautica hold hands still just friends though brainstorm's gay or are they all just pan who who truly who knows minimus has to eject from both of his bodies you will remember the little minimus is actually housing an even littler minimus world gets blown half to hell swerve loses an arm rodimus loses a hand yeah and the kind of the lovely thing about this is even though they've given it to all of these people none of them are able to do it alone mm-hmm. all of these people who you think are like the greatest heroes i think like does magnus do it on his own or does he need world to help him with that magnus one doesn't but like it. no none of them can do it rodimus has to give them a pep talk about yeah love and their shared journey and what they've been through together and it's really lovely yeah this this is your co-captain speaking and i've got a question have you ever wondered how we made it this far i mean we're not the smartest or the strongest or the bravest or the best we don't have the most firepower or the largest army or the fastest ships and god knows we're not natural bedfellows i mean think about it an archivist a retired memo surgeon a gunsmith an archaeologist a waste disposal expert a quantum mechanic a poet a watchmaker a barkeep it shouldn't work but it does and it works because we've got one thing in common each other Think of who's listening to this message, and I bet you'll think of someone you respect. Someone whose judgment you trust. Someone who makes you laugh. Someone who makes you happy. Someone who makes you feel it's okay to be exactly who you are. And I promise, in fact, I guarantee that someone listening to this is thinking about you in exactly the same way. Okay, so you've made some bad decisions. You've hurt people. You've hurt yourself. you stumbled through life from one self-inflicted disaster to the next without anything even approaching a plan. To which I say, welcome aboard. Maybe you're not good, but you're sure as hell good enough. (sighs) Even Team Well. Yes, even Team Well did recently see Roberts had a, went to a convention and someone has you're good enough, uh, you know you're you're enough, like whatever you just said. They have it tattooed on them, and it's like you know this is the reach of this book, you know. <laughs> yeah, this is this is like for what has been a fairly like breakneck speed. It is this this issue and the next issue that kind the of the ending like, is up. so powerful. Like for yeah. all the chaos. For all the reveals, for all the cut issues and rushed arcs and truncated things and interruptions, clearly the ending was picked, was crystal clear in his head. It is. Because it's beautiful. I'm going to say possibly the most me sentence ever now. It is very similar to Lost. <laughs> in that all of the plot stuff is probably a little bit rushed and like not ideal in terms of how it is laid out, but the thing that makes that finale of that show work is that the character beats are all like so true to all of those characters yeah. and that is exactly the case here where it is like the character development has been so good that you if you can get past what yeah. is messiness in the plot yeah, and absolutely. and yeah like they just really really home in on this and all of them like working together get to like open up their their various matrixes yeah. and, and, and we do and, get like, a thing where a couple of them don't go quite as planned so, like, because Magnus is in no shape, Whirl opens one of them. Like, even fucking Whirl, the maniac, shot half to death. Misfire and Swerve open one. Like, they, it's got a handle. Like, there's, there's a handle on each side. They each pull with one arm. Megatron picks up Rodimus's, and, like, this would have been the ultimate thing, and I think this is really telling. That for all the good he's done, all his rehabilitation, all of his reconciling with his past... Megatron can't open it, and Rodimus has to, because he's got one hand, he holds it in one hand, and then he puts it in his teeth, <laughs> he pulls it open with his mouth and his one hand. I think that's a very interesting 
final decision on Megatron, personally. What do you think of that? I think it is the perfect choice. Because yeah. it's like, like, like that's you the... can do all of this. You still did all that stuff, man. <laughs> like... Yeah, like, that's the thing is, I think it is, it is very much about a book that, like, you are good enough to be with you, but there are still things that, like, just are not... Yeah possible yeah. to be atoned for and and that's the thing is like it's like megatron on this ship is the best he's ever been and he would have to exist for forever to atone yeah. for himself yeah. and that that's kind of where the book gets to where it's like i do think the book is hopeful that like people can be rehabil- rehabilitated mm. in the right circumstances but this is and, you know like this is like the ultimate good like this is the the most morally upright people that exist like this isn't it's almost arguable that some of these people shouldn't be able to do it even with this pep talk like this is a huge, huge thing. Like Bumblebee can't open a Matrix. Rodimus did, but like that, it's not like he is good. He he has changed. He he has done very good. But like to say that like all that he did has is for naught because he can't open a Matrix. It's like no, it's just there's always more room to grow. You know. That's the thing is, and I think that's the beautiful thing about what the next issue does, which is obviously it, it gives the conclusion to Megatron's story, but also allows him to still have that ability to to grow and change mm-hmm. the book really does get to kind of schrodinger's cat <laughs> and have it both ways for itself yeah. which i think is really lovely yeah. it is like obviously they succeed at this but you get the like <sighs> actually kind of devastating <sighs> page which is the the cybertron and the hotspot lighting up but it is written the words um don't forget me yeah uh, last act. like his will must exist in these matrixes in some way for the hotspots to light up with don't forget me is devastating because they fucking do even with all of this they can't remember him and like you know to to skip ahead ever so slightly someone will discover his office like oh there's a whole office down here no we never knew it this whole time we're adventuring and it's like ah like even after all this yeah and like this little they've saved the universe thing ends with tailgate questioning if it's over if how is it swerve it's swerve questions is the quest over and it's time to answer that question with our final issue. It is called How to Say Goodbye and Mean It Part 2 because the very first issue was called How to Say Goodbye and Mean It Part 1 as they literally left Cybertron with all their baggage and left their world behind to go on this mission. We now finally have, you know, I'd say most of them, if not all of them, have grown and healed and dealt with the baggage they, they took off with. But we also have to very literally say goodbye to somebody because many, many years in the future... The crew gather for Ratchet's funeral. He has died of old age, which, you know, in the present of the book we've been reading was only very recently confirmed to be possible by Farmer, of all people. We we get a, a eulogy bot, and they invite his longtime husband, Drift, to say a few words. There have been 5,000 donations of Innermost Energon for Ratchet's funeral, as prominent and beloved of a Transformer as exists. A meta thing about all of this that is incredibly touching is in the chronologically, I think the first Autobot to appear in an IDW comic book, not the first Transformer, but the first Autobot, was Ratchet. So to have him be, his funeral being the furthest point forward in the IDW continuity, it's a lovely book ending of Ratchet's contribution to this whole universe. And like, you know, we've said how it's kind of a shame that Ratchet gets his Delphi arc early and then he's kind of just spinning his wheels until he comes back to the book. But every scene with Ratchet has been 
a joy. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is like we've we've obviously put more time into the drift Rodimus kind of aborted relationship over this, but like the almost love triangle that exists between the <laughs> three of them has been like bubbling away the entire time, and like this is when you finally get the the the, the obviously drift and Rapture have been paired for so long as like the the odd couple, like one of the man of science, man of faith mm-hmm. kind of vibe, and when they do consummate their relationship into a thing, like you get Rodimus like whispering into Ratchet's ear saying that like you picked a good one because it's obviously like it's a lovely little moment of like ah man if i hadn't have fucked up with with what happened with drift like would i do think that is the unspoken subtext that like it was those two but then him letting him take the fall they can make amends and they can still have like chemistry as we see with them being very grab ass with each other (laughs) in lost light but like the romantic foundation cannot survive that gesture Whereas Ratchet left the ship to get him back. That's the point where it shifts over from a a Drift Rodimus subtext to a Drift Ratchet text. (laughs) Are we interested in what Drift's creators' thoughts on this final issue are? (laughs) Uh, Do we know them? (laughs) I don't know if we know them or not. Uh, I I can't... I I hope he hasn't said anything about them. I know he doesn't approve of how Roberts writes Drift. He doesn't approve of how anyone writes Drift other than himself. I can't tell if he's a good dude or not, but... Yeah, what happens in this issue is it is obviously told over kind of like multiple timelines. The spine of this issue is Ratchet's funeral and the trial of Megatron. Yeah, swooping right in at the end to cement his status as the biggest asshole in Transformers. (laughs) Prowl is like, right, Megatron has to go on trial now. You found your fucking Knights of Cybertron and that wasn't They don't exist. So we're going to put him on fucking trial. We're going to dismantle the Lost Lights engines. We're going to use them to aid a billion new Transformers that have come to life from them igniting 12 hotspots on the alternate Cybertron. So I guess there's just two Cybertrons orbiting each... Well, one of them's far away. I don't know. Magnus had been helping bring these people to term, and like Rodimus has to agree to that. Like, it's going to help new people be alive. He reluctantly allows them a victory lap. You get 24 hours with the ship, you can take Megatron, fly around... And then when you come back, Megatron is going to trial, and this ship is being permanently grounded. Yeah, and basically the the trial for Megatron will have two outcomes. It will either be Megatron is executed, Mm -hmm. or he will be... We we obviously talked about Getaway and how they removed his mouth and his hands and put his spark in like a way that he couldn't even move. Mm -hmm. But basically they're going to do that, except it will be... Megatron will be like in in captivity forever. No parole, no visitors. No parole, yeah. Arguably way worse than death. (laughs) Yep, and that will be just forever until his spark dies. Mm-hmm. Like he will just—he will have no one to speak to. He will have no one to interact with. He will have no entertainment. It will just be yeah. existence with nothing. And like, and his thoughts. We know that Rodimus tried to speak on his behalf, and he lied on the stand, and he said Megatron opened the Matrix. Therefore, he must be good. We know that didn't happen. Magnus does say that you know that did make a difference, but unfortunately, guilty. And we get a repeat of some dialogue that. When Megatron was first on trial, Rodimus visited him, and he was very bluntly like, you've done all these things, and you're going to die, and you deserve it. And we get it repeated here, where he's like, you're going to die, and I don't think you deserve it. And it's just a nice little bookend of like their journey together. Um, I think nobody knows Megatron like Rodimus at this point. And Megatron had been holding on to his Rodimus star for 819 years. And we don't actually learn... But it's heavily implied that the outcome was death, because when Rodimus rocks up to the funeral in the distant future, 
it's heavily implied that the Rodimus star he puts on Ratchet's grave is Megatron's. And maybe they were like, he's going in prison, you can have his star. But to me, it's, he's dead and he left this to you. But it's, we don't actually know which one it is because, yeah, he's led away. And Minimus, his final com- conversation with Megatron is like, yeah, I'm going to destroy the Magnus armor and just be Minimus all the time. And Megatron says, you're bigger without it. And like, ugh, in the feels. And speaking of that funeral, it's very much a, like, what's everyone been up to? And, uh, <laughs> Whirl is in prison. <laughs> <laughs> He's on day release to attend the funeral. Cyclonus is like, look, this is fucking stupid. When you get out next time... Because I think he's just been locked up a series of times for small things, kind of thing. Yeah, he's like, you can come live with Telgate and myself. Yeah, yeah. so they're still happily together. I don't know if they confirm if they're married or not, but you assume. Drift actually gives Ratchet's hands to Whirl, which is a thing a very long time ago when it seemed like they were going to die. Ratchet was like, tell Whirl he can have my hands. Whirl rejects them. Whirl is okay with who he is. There's still clearly some stuff there, but yeah. And they hug and it's nice. As I said, Minimus has been helping bring all these sparks to term on the new world. Rewind absorbed so much information that he got stuck in his tiny USB mode, which is very sad. However, Chrome Dome carries him around. He was a he was briefly a grief counsellor, so he did give up Nemo surgery, but he retired from that to look after Rewind. And he talks to him still, and he plugs him into his body. And they talk about how they found new ways to be intimate. <laughs> so there's that. There is the throwaway line that's like, yeah, Rewind just asked him about something called Rung. So like, I think only Rewind remembers any trace of Rung. Yep. Uh, Brainstorm nearly died. So now basically all of his vital organs are in his briefcase that he carries around all the time. Swerve ended up opening 113 bars as a, as a franchise, but he lost them all and he's down to just one. That magical number, 113, again. 113, the first issue of Transformers that Robert's ever read. I think it's the one that like made him a fan, but yeah, his, his like treasured one. But It's, it's the one with Shockwave on the cover, yeah, which yeah. is... Awesome. Nautica wrote a successful book. We don't really find anything out about Velocity, but she's there. <laughs> uh, Rodimus arrives very late. He seems half drunk. Like, he's missed the service, and most of them have started to leave, it seems like. He is serving on Thunderclash's ship, and you just get this intense vibe that, like, Rodimus, he's nothing without them. Like, they all kind of found yeah, something they... for themselves, and his whole thing was tied up in them. So while he's happy for them, you just get the sense that Rodimus is, like, just drifting through life kind of thing which is real sad but yeah the funeral bot either is rung or looks a hell of a lot like him i don't know if the implication is everyone born on this new cybertron looks a bit like rung because minimus makes a comment that all these lunar bots they blend in a little bit too well and they're a little bit too forgettable and then revealing one of them looks like rung it's like are they all just subconsciously little rungs kind of thing yeah and somebody approaches rodimus and I was like, do you ever think about if it worked? And basically, through some lovely bullshit, I will say. This has been a thing for a while, but obviously way back in early season two, yeah. we discovered that the Lost Light in its first jump split into two ships. Mm-hmm. One ship that got hit by the DJD and the entire crew were murdered apart from Rewind and the one that we've been following the entire time. Yeah. And basically, they have the idea of, let's just do a jump using this engine Re- in the same way. the faulty... Because it, was, it wasn't it was it working as it was supposed to. Like The engine had been sabotaged slightly, so it, it yeah. fucked up. We've got access to the ship for 24 hours. We're going to do a jump, and then we're going to go home. They think they can make a duplicate ship, go into the an alternate universe where they aren't bothering no one, 
and just adventure together forever. And entirely left open to reader interpretation if it worked. I mean, we see a version where it worked, but it's like, is this like a, a fantasy or is this, did it work? Yeah, like we, we've been cutting back to like their time on the ship where they've been in swerves, like drinking NJX and kind of like, like reminiscing together. And, yeah, and... reminiscing. And then we cut away to like them literally dismantling the Lost Light and whatnot. And like everyone saying goodbye before the, 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 the presumably the first time they've ever seen each other again is this there's this funeral scene. Yeah. Like the first time the crew's been all together so since that moment. In amongst this, you get like Perceptor and Brainstorm maybe getting together. But like, yeah, like in the version where we see it work, where Megatron's with them too. Um, Magnus asks for an estimate of how long it will take to explore a whole universe, and he's like, I'll accept a guess, or whatever. (laughs) And he's told forever, and uh, they say forever sounds just right. And that is the end of the book. I don't know if I've ever cried at a comic before. This made me cry the first time I read it. Like, these are my friends. And whether it worked or not, this is goodbye, and it just tore me in half when I read it the first time. And, you know, when I read it this time, I read it at, like, one in the morning while inhaling all of it to try and get ready for the podcast, so I didn't cry. But it is still these last two issues, them opening matrices together, them attending the funeral, all saying goodbye to each other. They're, like, the heart-wrenching, like, them all saying, oh, we'll we'll definitely keep in touch, knowing they won't. Knowing that, like, so much of your relationships are tied up in circumstance and like you're all at uni together or you're all working at the same job together and you think oh our bond is so strong that even when we go our separate ways we'll stay together and a lot of the time you just don't you simply don't no one's at fault for it but your life changes and you lose these bonds and it's so poignant and true to not make yep. it so wrapped up with a lovely bow on it. Like, you know, you get that as well. It is Schrodinger's finale, truly, where you get the world where they all just keep having Lost Light adventures. That, but then... Yeah, that thing is, if, if Robbers wanted to, he could easily write just, like, more issues of them yeah. having fun. If, 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 if anyone ever wanted Absolutely. to commission that, and there would be complete reason for that. I mean, I, I will say, I, I cried on the train. I was, like, yeah. <laughs> on a train for, or to another office day, and I was, like, literally crying yeah. at, like, 9 o'clock in the morning reading this. It's, it's so good, and it, I mean... Do you know the story of like what it was supposed to be, the ending? I don't think so. Try me. <laughs> so the, the the original pitch was that like Roberts had like Nick Roche in like a hotel room and was like telling him the entire story arc of Crucible in like excruciating detail, <laughs> including like what the final words would be. And the final words were gonna be like forever sounds about right, over to you. Oh right. And it was gonna yeah, like it was going to be this like whole idea of like we're passing the torch someone else can tell these stories now mm-hmm. and because this is the end of this continuity this is the end like there are no more stories yeah. about the lost like that like no one in the 2019 reboot is picking up this story presumably this is going to be untouched forever yeah. like it's, i mean it's fan it, fiction it's what's the new continuity like over to you brian ruckley like it's kind of crushing yeah. that, like, I mean, and obviously it it is comics. Mm. We have enough. Like, I mean, I was reading a piece literally about how so much Marvel comics at the moment are all these like nostalgia books that are like, what if we did a story set at the time when Spider Man still had the black suit? What if we did a story when the new Fantastic Four was still around? What if we did a story that like during this piece of continuity that like mm. maybe we should last a little bit longer? And who knows? Maybe in like twenty thirty, someone's going to come along and go like, you know what? For the the twentieth anniversary of of Lost Light, yeah. let's do a, a story set in that continuity. Like, James Robert, Robert Kirkman could hit up James Roberts and be like, hey, do you want to like tell a few random stories? Do you want to like write a book about Megatron in the Functionalist universe 
I doubt it, but I mean, it could like, happen one day. There, there are so, some creators who get so tied to a franchise. Like, we keep on hearing every five or six years that, like, oh, look, we've got Chris Claremont back to write an X-Men book <laughs> after we very unceremoniously booted from that book. Yeah. Simon Furman was the first choice for Dreamwave for, like, a second-run writer. He was the first choice to boot, like, start up the IDW universe. Like, there are writers who are obviously so pre-naturally talented for writing a certain like sector of a universe and i think roberts is obviously someone who is very very good at this and obviously has a very very rabid fan base and i would not (laughs) be surprised if someone were to come say at some point in the future transformers either let's adapt this or let's do just some more stories in this continuity you simply have to like it can't be denied this was bigger than all the other i i don't know the sales numbers i don't care i know that people talked about this book more than any Transformers book, maybe ever. That's how I ended up on it. Like, I heard there's a Transformers book being written that's genuinely one of the best things in comics, and I was like, that can't be true, let me let me go find that out. And I was like, oh no, you're right. And then I made you read it. And I was like, don't worry yeah. about the other book. Knowing that you would probably have the impulse of like, well, what happens in the other book? And I was like, oh, don't worry about it. You've now been insane and read it all. <laughs> We've been going I've read all of it. Like, I've read, like, all. Yeah. So you know better than anyone, like, no offence to any of these writers. There are plenty of individual stories and moments that are like, that's really good. No one was doing it like this at this level no, this, this is long. This is the most consistent one. And it is so weird to to read the the fan reactions. And there are some fans who obviously hate it. And mm-hmm. I have to assume those are the ones who are like super, super hardcore into a particular vein of continuity and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that's fair enough. But this is, yeah, this is one that broke out. I'm now actually looking up like the November sales data for, for comic books just to see like where, mm. like the Transformers books in general kind of like ended their run. Yeah. Just to say like Transformers Unicron for the final issue is selling about uh, 7,500 issues or so. Lost Light's about 5,700. Optimus Prime is doing about the same as Lost Light. So mm. I think I think they're selling about the, the same, but I would not be surprised if this is only physical sales. This doesn't include like digital and uh, you have to assume that like part of why this book got to run as long as it did is it obviously had a fan base who were it was a more diverse a fan base than the traditional yeah. Transformers fan yeah. base and that is kind of really vital for the longevity of something yeah. where it's like you cannot maintain a franchise where you're only appealing to the same group of people every single time you have to grow you have to evolve you have to yeah. to find new people who are going to read it and you can't just expect the tv shows and the movies to constantly be picking it up especially when i cannot think of like doing these the movies and the comics at the same time, I cannot picture someone coming up to me and saying, like, you know what? I fucking love Age of Extinction. Would you recommend me any of the comics? I go, like, absolutely not. No, like, the, whatever yeah, you found it, in that does not exist over here. Yeah, the only people who would do that are the ones who are, like, really, really into the comics. And I, even the people I follow, like, I don't even follow them. The people who get thrown, shown to me on Twitter who are into Transformers, they, like, one style seemingly like i've yeah. never seen the guys who are in movies like tweet at length about the comics no. and i'm sure some i think there is a bit of a, a divide of like i think some people think that anyone who doesn't like the movies is just like an elitist like you know whatever higher highfalutin whatever i just like when the robots go brr, 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 which they don't even do that very often in the fucking movies yeah it does feel like there's a there's a there's a bayverse there is a comic verse, there is a G1 and nothing else, fuck you forever verse. <laughs> like, and then there's people who are like, I like all of it, and anyone who claims any of it's above any of it is wrong, kind of thing. Yeah, like the ones who are like, Transformers Forever, I've got all the toys. Yeah. And th- there's a lot of those. There are, yeah. there are definite whales in this community who have every single... I think 
of um, any of the subgroups other than like the people who love the comics that's probably the group i probably respect the most because like you know what you don't hate anything for being wrong transformers i question your ability to like all of it but like anyone who's like fuck james roberts for doing mary sue's and and stuff like that i'm like all right be quiet like <laughs> that is that's it that's it that's all we got We're done that's the end of, of our podcast. We have run out of books. We have run out of movies. We've had a fun time comparing one to the other when they very briefly got a little bit crossovery and then went in wildly different directions. I think a lot of our questions that we ask of the movies are things that Roberts was clearly wondering in his youth and then put into the books. Like, we got into the anatomy and the biology of Transformers and their culture and their history and what any of this means culturally. And we explored gender and sexuality and, and identity and all these kinds of things. And it, it's been a real journey from, from the, has been. the highs and the lows, as, as uh, the podcast is called what it is for a reason. I just wanted to say, like, I'm on the TF Wiki, and uh, on this day in 1938, on August 13th, Archibald Witwicky died in an insane asylum. Maybe he was left with every issue ever of Transformers to read. (laughs) Bringing it full circle. Archibald Witwicky, the the guy who found Megatron in some version of this continuity. He tried to read all the Transformers and it got to one too many G.I. Joe crossovers. The original plan was I was also going to read all the Transformers UK, which quickly fell out the window. I've got things to do this year. Reading 400 issues of Transformers, I think making that like 600 issues was potentially a a step too far. Maybe. While we're out of material, we're not out of podcast. And wait, what? Yeah, we didn't promote it up front because it wasn't set in stone yet. But we have reached out to James Roberts, and we are going to interview him for our final episode. So all these things we've been like—I'd be curious to know about this and that, and what his thought process was on that. We're going to do that, and that will be your final episode next week. Very, very excited for that. We will see how that conversation goes. When are we? When are we doing an interview with Michael Bay? Uh, he couldn't make it. He's, okay. he's got a conflict. Maybe in a universe where we clone the podcast and end up somewhere <laughs> else, we also interview Michael Bay. That that is the happy scenario is kind of <laughs> strange. But yeah, that's next week. Please do join us for our conversation with James Roberts, and uh, that will be how we say goodbye and mean it. But for this episode alone, thank you, Ben. Thank you, Matt. You don't have to, re- listeners. You don't have to read or watch anything else. No, like, just you don't have to think about James Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, audience, roll out. This is why, this is why we fight. When we die, we will die with our arms unbound. This is why, this is why. So come to me